Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Paco Romain. And I am George Chen. And you're listening to episode 100. It only took us three plus years, hundreds of dollars, and so much Netflix binging. Oh, man, so much Netflix binging. We did it by talking to people much more talented and famous than us. That is how podcasts work. Yeah. We, along with our producer, Will, have handpicked some of our favorite moments in the past 100 episodes. That's right. You'll hear from comedians Dana Gould, Wayne Fetterman, Baron Vaughn, filmmaker Marjorie Sturm, the incredible pop music duo Yacht, and more. So, kick back, relax, let us walk you through some of our favorite moments from the past 100 episodes. And joining us on the microphone from Berkeley, California, is our producer, Will Scoville. Hi, Will. Hey. Hello, how's, Will. How's everyone doing? Good. Excellent. Ep- Good. Episode 100. What? How crazy. This is nuts, George. We made it. George. We did. We did make it. How did we make it? I thought this would happen faster, to be honest, because <laughs> yeah. there's 52 weeks in a year. Right. And we've done this for three years. How did we not hit this earlier? We put out an episode every two it, weeks. Right. I know, but then that means it would only take two years to hit. Oh, it would take two years to hit 52. Oh, so we right. did it faster. This should have been four years. It should have been four years. Got it. Oh, yeah. so we actually came in early. Yeah. That's you, right. See? Yep. See? Um, and well, we also put out, because we, remember we used to do what's ups. Mm-hmm. We, we mm-hmm. actually have probably 150 of. Oh, yeah. Of. Uh, you know, shows pieces or, of audio. Yes, yeah. pieces of audio that we've put out. But um, yeah, so episode one hundred. I mean, who? I mean, that's that's just crazy. I think that's awesome, especially for. I mean, it's unprecedented for an every other week comedy interview recap documentary podcast to get to a hundred. <laughs> I guess it is unprecedented because no one else does what we do in that format. Um, Yeah, if you did a weekly, you could have hit it in two years, I guess. But we, you know, the fact that we came in under four years is impressive. Mm -hmm. I think I'm impressed. Yeah, I'm impressed. I think it's awesome. And, uh, you know, our people are listening and it seems like we're getting more and more listens uh, from people as we keep going along. And it's awesome. And so thanks, everybody that has been with us from the beginning and have just jumped on board recently. Get on in the SUPDOC train. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. we've also like lived. I was going to point out that we've recorded in a bunch of different cities because both Paco and I have lived in the Bay and L.A., within the last three years and not always at the same time. And somehow we <laughs> no. managed to keep this going. Uh, That's right. You've recorded episodes outside of the Bay, outside of California. Uh, I recorded one in Minneapolis. You recorded one in Kalamazoo. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, maybe we're going to go international next. I was in Calgary, but I didn't have time to record anything when I was up there. But uh, we're going to have to break the international barrier soon. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, I think one of the things that surprised me since we started this uh podcast is our international listens like we're we're pretty big in australia <laughs> yeah 
or and or we have Australian listeners is how I should say it. Right. You know? Did we have one person that listens to everything multiple times yeah. <laughs> or we have a couple different people. And we have one iTunes review and comment from Britain, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I mean the the English speaking world is really our our target base here or I guess people <laughs> that speak English that live abroad. Uh, That's I think right. we've had some uh, downloads from like Denmark and stuff. I'm like, oh, well, everyone speaks English there. So it's not a big, yeah. big whoop. Yeah. But yeah, we appreciate all you international people. If you're someone who is outside of the U.S., uh, please give us a Apple Music iTunes mm, review. Yes. It helps a lot for people to find out about the show. I mean, we have a good chunk in the U.S. Could always use more. Could always use more ratings and reviews. Um Actually, I, the, now I don't even know if it does that much, but come on. It'll make us feel better. That's the, enough reason me. to do it. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And um, so what we have the show for today is we have picked <coughs> our favorite moments from different episodes um, that kind of it's not like it's not like the best of. But this we feel like this is what best represents what SupDoc is trying to be and what we've been trying to do for the last three years. Because it's not like like we were mentioning earlier, it's not exactly easy to peg what we do because we recap docs. We interview mm-hmm interesting people we talk to them about the docs and themselves um and we're also both comedians so it's like you know it's it's not easy to peg this so this was these are like our our moments that we feel like best represent subdoc is that about right i think that's good i I think think we've like learned a lot and uh in this time and we've tried different formats of the show even yeah right right (laughs) that's true um, so you, you, what did, what have you learned, George? What, do you, what have you learned, Will, Will and George? We haven't heard from Will yet. We need to get <laughs> Will on them. Uh, I got a job out of it. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That's nice. That's right. Yeah. I got to not work at the coffee shop anymore. Awesome. Yeah. Well, so you, you weren't re- working at the coffee shop when you got this job too. What's that? You were, you were doing a different, you weren't doing the coffee shop job. I was the doing the coffee shop so. job. Oh, you were still doing it recently? Oh, when you started, right. Oh, when yeah, you started yeah. this show. Yeah, yeah. Because you had that other job you worked from home doing. Yeah, yeah. I, I worked there for a couple of years, but um, yeah, I got that well, for another comedy gig. Right. Mm. That's awesome. Because let's let's a lot of our listeners don't because Will is always on the other side. He's a producer engineer. And without Will, we would this podcast would sound like we were talking in tin cans uh, through a string. <laughs> That's, uh, how, well, that's yeah. what it used to sound like when, uh, when, before I figured <laughs> things out. Yes. Yeah. Before, because uh, what, what episode did you come aboard? Uh, 10? Uh, the first one I recorded was um, our first one with Brent Haji. Oh, uh, yeah. Doing the yeah. Chris Farley one. Uh, right. I am Chris Farley. That's like 15, I think. Yeah. The first one I put together, I can't remember. It was around the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I did, I did put a, together a few before... Maybe yeah. five or six. Okay. Before multi-tracking came in the mix. Yeah. yeah. Right. We, we were just doing stuff on GarageBand without multi-track and having really no idea how to do any of this. And you are basically, of, you're like our tech Santa Claus. You've come into <laughs> mm-hmm. the SupDoc chimney and been like, hey guys, stop living in the 1800s and try a Slack. You introduced us to Slack. Right. Which mm, yeah. saved our lives and helped... Uh, make us sound somewhat decent, you know, or mm. a lot more, a lot better than we were before when we were talking into conch shells. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thank you, Will, for doing oh, that. Well, you, yeah. 
I got to try out a lot of cool stuff and not all of it worked, uh, but I got to figure (laughs) out what didn't work and stop doing it and try something else. And I feel like you're invaluable as kind of a tiebreaker whenever there's like a a decision between Paco and I that needs to be figured out. You're the president (laughs) of the Senate. Yeah. The pro tem. The pro tem. Exactly. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we've we've recorded all over the place, different cities, um, different methods, different guests, different. We've had different games. I mean, we came up with uh, Cast This Doc. Um, Mm -hmm. lately we've had some like different, like personal questions we've been asking people. So, I mean, it's, it's awesome. That's what I love about podcasting. That's one of the things I love about this, this medium is that you can just try stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, and we did live shows. Let's not forget. We definitely needed, well, we've been doing more live shows lately, actually. And then we definitely need, like, it's so tech intensive when we do a live show. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, I used to do a lot more live shows, um, out in SF, but I haven't done that many lately. And really you guys are the only ones I do live recordings for anymore. Yeah. Keep those um, skills up, you know, keep them uh, Yeah, sharp. I guess so. That's right. Um, okay. Well, what do you think? Should we jump into this? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I'm excited. It was so much fun to go back and listen to these things. It's like, cause George and I are both stand up comedians. And one of the hardest things I think there is to do is to go back and listen to yourself. Like, <laughs> Because uh, we, you, as comedians, I don't know if a lot of people know, is we record our sets just to hear what works and what doesn't work. And it's not easy to go back and listen to stuff because, um, you know, it can be kind of cringeworthy where you're like, oh, did I really say that? But going back and getting a chance to go back and listen to some of these older episodes, I thought it was awesome. Um, and we've we've had such great guests that it's really cool to see what people have brought to the table to some of these things. And also what docs they've picked, because I've been kind of surprised by that, too. You know, George? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Like it, the first one that you picked out is totally like was a uh, left field because we had the opportunity to speak with Dana Gould, who is, I think, both Paco and my uh, one of our favorite comics. I think Will as well. Yeah. Uh, Dana I, I grew is, up uh, yeah. watching Dana Gould uh, on every VH1 comedy special oh, right. or not, <laughs> comedy series that was on. Yeah, yeah. And, and like not even like to suck up to him because he's already done our show, but like you could always tell there was something different going on with this guy even mm. when he was just doing st- – he's so young when he started doing stand-up too. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and he was on Ben Stiller's show. I remember him on that show, which was awesome. I mm. loved that mm-hmm. show so much. Oh, yeah, um, the Ben Stiller show is great, yeah. Yeah, and so it was a complete honor and privilege and surprise that Dana Gould would grace us with his presence on SupDoc, and he picked <laughs> some kind of monster, uh, which yeah. um, I'll set that up a little bit if people don't know. It's a classic documentary of the band Metallica, who is going through some, let's say, challenging times. And they hire a therapist to help them out. Um, and it's it's an awesome documentary. And if you haven't seen yeah. it, you should definitely watch it. But so Dana came on SupDoc to talk about that. In the first clip, you're going to hear, I'll set it up a little bit, and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about it um, after the clip. That's kind of how the show will go, is that... Uh, this first clip, Dana is saying that there is a doc that has never been made that should be made about John Lennon's quest for a father figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks about that. He talks about the breakup of the Beatles and how John would bring Yoko in to kind of because essentially John was always setting pe- setting people up 
as father figures like the band and then he would walk away from it because they would always um, disappoint him. And and he's uh, Dana is also saying how uh, the, the the Beatles and uh, Metallica were a family and within the family, there's always a quiet one and someone who's always the mom figure. So that is the clip we're about to hear. And on the other side, we'll we'll talk about it. Yeah. You know, the, the, the really right. interesting documentary that has not been made is uh, John Lennon's quest for parental figures. Oh. And that was sad and, and failing. Uh, you know, he would find these people. Once he, you know, became a little self-actualized, he would always search for uh, a savior, a father figure, and then he would love them and then turn on them. And it, mm. first it was like Brian and then Brian, Brian Epstein and then Brian died. Then it was the Maharishi and then he turned on the Maharishi. Then it was Arthur Yanov who did Primal Scream Therapy. Then it was Alan Klein. Then he turned on Alan Klein. Then it was Arthur Yanov who did Primal Scream Therapy. Hmm. Like he was always searching for these people and then turning on them because they mm -hmm. let him down because did, they, did he, he, did, had, he had given them an impossible job. Did he and do that to you, George Martin? Um, I, I don't think they did it to George Martin, but it was clearly with like Brian was definitely uh, Brian Epstein was definitely a father figure. And and the in the in the other psychological aspect of of the whole thing, there's a really brilliant book called "You Never Give Me Your Money," which is a which is a, the psychological breakdown of the Beatles breakup as as it was a as if it was a divorce. And what you see is, especially with John and Paul, these two guys whose mothers died when they were very young, who became completely codependent on each other, could not leave each other until they had replaced their mothers, Paul with Linda right. and John with Yoko. Oh, man. And then once they had replaced their mothers, they grew apart because they began to self-actualize again. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and what really and and of the two in the book, and when you break it down, Paul is vastly more mature than John. And what you see is John doing everything he can to break up the band, short of breaking up the band. And then finally Paul saying, well, fuck it, I'm out. And then John going ballistic because he didn't get to announce it. Um, it's really is it's really fascinating. And mm -hmm. really, when you look at it that way, the first father figure that John tried to destroy was the Beatles, but he didn't have the balls to do it. Mm -hmm. But he was the first one that brought Yoko into the studio and go, she's with me now. We're one person, which anybody would say is a textbook bad decision. Yeah. And they would always do that. And that's part of our culture that we have this false belief in a soulmate that you're going to meet the perfect person and your life is going to be changed and you'll be one person. And our pop culture is littered with songs that are completely wrong and there's you know god only knows what i'd be without you i can't mm. live if living with is without you you complete me all these things are wrong all <laughs> these things are psychologically fucked up <laughs> and and john lennon uh specifically uh made such you know he would say like joe yoko and i are we're john and yoko we're one person now any psychologist would go flag yeah <laughs> right flag on the play and you know suddenly this person that you know these guys have been in the most successful band in the history of, of popular culture mm -hmm. and suddenly there's somebody new in the studio offering their opinions as if they're an equal and they're have, they don't they have no sounds yeah. a little bit like yeah, someone we see in this film yeah, it's, very, <laughs> it's very provocative and the other and and then and then he accuses the them of being uh 
then he accuses them of hating Yoko and of being uh, male chauvinist. It's like, mm-hmm. no, it's because we've been four guys for eight years, and right. now we're four guys and a girl. This woman doesn't even play guitar, and I have to mm-hmm. take her notes. Right. Um, and, and But he couldn't pull the trigger on the band. It right, was right, right. Finally, Paul that announced it. It's just total like sabotage internally. Yeah. What yeah. do you think about creativity? And he was furious by con- that he, he was furious that he that he did it. I mean, I might have certain facts wrong. I mean, the Beatles breakup is well documented. And mm-hmm. There are also legal legal reasons that they didn't announce it because Let It Be was coming out or, or, or some nonsense. But um, it, it is true. Just to finish the point, I, I'm sorry I interrupted you, Parker. That's fine. Um, uh, that. John and Paul couldn't leave each other until they had replaced their mothers. And then once they had replaced their mothers, they had to leave each other, mm-hmm. uh, which is, which is really fascinating. Yeah. And then they both, and then both of them made their wives musical partners when they oh, weren't wow. up to the, when they weren't up to the task wings, yeah, wings and John and Yoko. I mean, like, I like the John and yeah. Yoko stuff though. I like the release. There's yeah. The one green record. I like a lot. Yeah. Uh, imagine. Yeah. 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 But uh, if the the Yoko cuts on Double Fantasy are not the best cuts on that album, no. Uh, yeah, and the <laughs> plastic know, bands. Yeah, Yoko Ono is no Paul McCartney. <laughs> you know, is, and, and no, she's and, like a fluxus performance yeah, yeah, person. Yeah, exactly, so. which is great. You know, yeah, but it's it's it's, uh, it's just fascinating that 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 that's how it went down. It was so by the book. Yeah, it right. Was, yeah. It was so by the place the mother figure. Yeah, yeah. and right. George and George Harrison is like, and then in every family. There was and uh, there was Kirk Hammett. there's Kirk, the Kirk or George or George Harrison or, or me in, or, in, yeah, or, <laughs> or in my family of origin me or in the yeah. Doors it was John Densmore the guy that just silently right right play drums the, and the peacemaker that tries to get everybody to get along yeah. gets everybody's ulcer for them yeah because you know they mm-hmm. <laughs> you know because they right. internalize yeah everything. I was the guy who suggested yeah. therapy for my band yeah. and like. That's you know, funny. did a lot of like dad stuff in my band. Sure, sure. I was yeah. the oldest, but still, it's just like I don't feel like this is what I should be doing. <laughs> you really left off on me talking about <laughs> my band. You know, when I was when I was listening to this clip, I was having a hard time f- like finding that end spot because the, it's hmm. so interesting what he's talking about, and also I. Th- like I wanted to, the listeners to know because um, if they haven't heard this episode, which by the way is episode seventy three, is that George, you went through kind of the same thing with your band that Metallica did uh, of like not as intensely of a thing. It was basically we did hit a point where people weren't talking to each other, and we went to a therapist, a sliding <laughs> scale therapist. I would add, not this like that's awesome hot shot. A uh, guy that was always working with artists, but um, also just like listening to that, it's like you, you. This is what's interesting about this show. If you haven't seen some kind of monster, you'll still get something out of that conversation. Especially with Dana Gould, just has so much like pop culture knowledge, he can just drop stuff about like the Beatles. It's like, oh wait, this has n- almost nothing to do with Metallica. Anything that was in that clip, uh, right. except for kind of just like contextually what it's like to be in a band or like the the psychological dynamics of bands, well, which is reason- something we all know about. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the reasons I like this clip is it's because. Dana brought this um, example to show how like um, 
uh, you know, uh, Metallica is not unlike a family and like not unlike the Beatles and and how families have these dynamics. And it's just a beautiful example of of why this documentary is so great, you know, like he, he Mm -hmm. took a different Avenue that I didn't even know about, you know, and like Mm -hmm. right off the bat, when you listen to this episode, he, he says like within like the first minute, he says, this documentary is about, um, family. It's about marriage. Divorce. Yeah. It's about divorce. Yeah. And I was, I was just stunned. I think it was, he was one of the, like one of the guests that we've had that thought a lot about not not just the doc and the the, the scenes that unfold, but the theme behind it all. You know, it was really right. impressive. Uh, and I, I don't know if this is in the next clip you picked, but he did tell us that he had written an entire pilot or had like a whole concept for a series based on some kind of monster based on him being like the therapist for a band, which could have, yeah, which is also, I also wanted to say uh, that this almost didn't happen because of something (laughs) I was doing where like, I was like testing out all my Wi-Fi stuff because we had to do this as a Skype conversation and I missed Dana trying to call me to get into my apartment. Oh, no. Right. And luckily, I just, it had been like maybe 10 minutes. I stepped outside and he was in his car about to pull away from my street. And I just kind of waved at him. He's like, are you George? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, I was like, I, I was trying to get a hold of you. I was about to leave. I'm like, okay, no, please, uh, please come in. And uh, oh, street cleaning's happening to park across the street. So this almost like one of our best episodes, I think almost didn't happen because of technological. I'm going to say it's technology. I'm not going to say it's my fault. But we, we right. got it. luckily I went outside and I saw him right. and uh, invited him in. So luckily and it I'm, worked out. This is one of our, like we Skyped this. I was in San Francisco and you guys were in Los Angeles. And mm-hmm. I, I was also like pretty sick for when we, and so when, when I was listening back to this, I was like, why am I like, I'm like sounds so weird. And I was like, oh, that's right. I'm, I'm sick and on Skype, which I kind of forgot about as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think just like, like this whole bit that Dana gets into about some kind of about Metallica and mm-hmm. families. And then he um, talks about the Beach Boys and how mm-hmm. they like Metallica and the Beach Boys both came from tortured families and tortured beginnings. But one chose um, kind of like we're angry and we're going to show it with our music. And the other one was like, we're angry, but we're going to sing like love, love, you know, like mm-hmm. we're going to sing about being happy and stuff. And um, and that's why he's kind of like has more of an affinity for the Beach Boys. It's really awesome. Mm-hmm. This whole this whole bit in this uh, episode. I mean, the whole entire episode, it was so hard to pick clips from this um, but so moving on, we have a second clip from from episode 73, Some Kind of Monster with Dana Gould. And this one is is exactly what you're saying, George, um, earlier about the um, about the script. Um, okay. But we we also talk about how um, James Hutfield is uh, quitting and why he's quitting and about control. I really do feel like when I watch this movie, like I I so get it. The best scene in the movie, and I wrote a pilot mm-hmm. based on this basic <laughs> premise for FX uh-huh. uh, that Dave Grohl uh, produced with me called Discord, C H O R D. Oh yeah, from the therapist point of view about a, a therapist <laughs> who's a well-known couples therapist who's secretly sleeping in his garage because him and his wife don't communicate, but he can't oh, let nice. that, he can't let his <laughs> yeah. clients know that, and he ends up working with a band. Um, right, right, and. 
what I thought was uh, the the most telling scene, and what's what's also very interesting about this documentary is later I have a television show called Stand Against Evil on IFC. Right. The second season premieres November first. Get in a yes. plug. Yeah. That's hey, awesome. While you're, while you're waiting, you can just download my album on <laughs> iTunes, Mr. Funny Man. Oh, did that fall out? Anyway, long story Kill rock stars. On Kill Rock Stars. And on Billboard, it just says, it, on Billboard, it has the ranking, the uh-huh. label, and the artist. Uh-huh. And so on Billboard, it says, number three, Kill Dana Gould. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's uh you need a you need better PR. <laughs> <laughs> I like the message. Uh, yeah, yeah. But long story, uh Stand Against Evil is produced by this the studio, for lack of a better term, is this company called Radical Media mm-hmm. that produced some kind of monster. And so mm. I know all of the inside dope. And it was supposed to be a quick, like right. half hour making of the album documentary that they were gonna release with the album came out. And then James Hetfield walked in one day like he does in the movie and says, hey, I have to go to rehab or I'm going to lose my family and just Whoa. up and leaves for nine months. Yeah. Oh, my God. And the guys have to spin their wheels for nine months. And right. then he comes back a completely different human being. I mean, he mm. looks different. Yeah. He is using, clearer. Yeah. using words that the, they don't understand. Like, you're talking about touring and I'm experiencing fear. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Lars always going, who the fuck are you? Right, what? right, right. And, and, and what's amazing in that scene, and there's so many amazing scenes like this, what's amazing in that scene is, is Ulrich goes, you used to control this band with your drunken rage, and now you control it with your sobriety. And right. that was so like, yes, yeah, totally. Yeah. That's exactly what's happening. Is that the 4 p.m. line? Yeah, when yeah. He's like, Let's play a clip from that, Yeah, and we'll just throw it back. It's so amazing. Yeah. I just think you're so fucking self-absorbed. And what makes it worse is that you always talk about... You always talk about me. You use the word control and manipulation a lot. I think you control on purpose and I think you control inadvertently. I think you control by the rules you always set. I think you control by how you always judge people. I think you control by your absence. I think you you, contr- you control all of this even when you're not here. And all these rules and all this shit, man. This is a fucking rock and roll band. I don't want fucking rules. I understand that you need to leave at four. I respect it. But don't tell me I can't sit and listen to something with Bob at 4.15 if I want to. What the fuck is that? Oh my God, that's yep. awesome! That Wait, is so. Do we, we just play a clip inside of a clip? Do we, we just we, clip your duck we, in this show? We threw to a clip inside the clip that we had thrown to. <laughs> clip inception, clip seven. Yeah. Oh, it just—I thought, like, I thought about not including it, but it just cracks me up. That clip just cracks me up because yeah. it's like he's so mad. He's got a great point about what he's talking about to James, but it's also kind of like this guy went to rehab for nine months nine months that's a long time to mm-hmm. get over his what his demons well he has and, money that's the thing. well that's a really yeah. good point that's a good go point rehab for three months nine months I, I mean what and then 
I don't know. Just I, and I agree completely with um, what Dana was saying about how there's just so many great clips in this documentary, and um, you know, like you know, control control is a, is a is a big issue with creative people, you know, because a lot of times there was you come from an, a a family or an environment where there is little control, and so sometimes mm-hmm. you're just grasping at that stuff. But I I just thought this was a is a great moment in this in our conversation, and that that clip just cracks me up. Yeah, it's very funny. And also, like, Dave Grohl also is a weird figure that kind of keeps popping up right. throughout our series, too. He's like, Dave Grohl and Dave Keckner are, like, two names <laughs> yeah. that kind of are secretly wound into all this documentary world, uh, which is not, not to not to uh, preview too much the clip that I picked later. But, um, yeah, I, I think, like, the, what really works about this episode for me is how insightful Dana is about just like the psychology of, of the whole thing, mm-hmm. which yes. is, uh, yeah, which is why I, you know, was really happy to have him on and he's, he did a Morrissey riff for us on the right. spot. He's like, Oh, here's a riff that I haven't done yet. So yeah, we, yeah. we managed to get some original content out of, cause like sometimes when people are on these like publicity tour tears, they kind of repeat themselves a lot, mm-hmm. but we, you know, he was really engaged with this topic. This wasn't just like, let me promote my album. So, right. right. Yeah. And we also find out that he, he shares this tidbit that it's, it's sad. It's very sad, but he says like if he was getting, going through a divorce with his wife and he says that they went to a therapist, a couple, couples therapists who they didn't like. And then they went to another one who they did like. And they said if they had just started with the first couple's therapist, they never would have gotten a divorce. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's so wild. You're just like, wow, man, that's awesome for him to open up and share like that. So, yeah. Um, this is a classic Subdoc episode, episode 73. Check it out. Some Kind of Monster with Dana Gould. Um, so, Will, let's go to your episode, one of your episodes that you picked. Yeah, I, uh, I picked. Uh, this is fairly early for me on the show. I think it's episode 24 uh, with Marjorie Sturm, who directed The Cult of J.T. Leroy. Um, I This was, I think, one of the first directors we had had on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we had had Brett, Brent on uh, and, previously. Uh, we, uh, Jody we, Willie. Jody Willie. That's yeah, right. The, I don't think yeah. I did that you one, weren't, You weren't there for that. You weren't yeah. there for that. That was like so, our fourth right. thing we ever recorded. Yeah. Yeah, so this was uh, this was a really great documentary, I thought, and it was great to have the insight from the director. Um, you know, this was the 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 documentary itself was it, it kind of felt to me a lot like Dig, um, mm-hmm. where she was really kind of experiencing that while she was making the documentary and not looking at it afterwards so much. Right, um, that's so that thought, Brian Jonestown Massacre movie, right? Yeah, Dig. Yeah. And so there was this other JT Leroy documentary that came out, which was fine, but mm-hmm. it, it was made kind of as, as a retrospective of that time. And it was looking at it from the outside and it just, mm-hmm. it had a different feel to it. Um, and, and, and hers kind of, you know, it felt more lived in. Um, so the clip that I, that I pulled out was um, Marjorie kind of talking about, and you all three having a discussion about, deception and what that means in certain cases and is it good or is it bad and you know the positive and the negative of of those kinds of things that's awesome this is episode 24 24 yeah in in your doc you mentioned at the end that she still hasn't written 
She name. hasn't published a book under her right. name. She's probably written articles or things. Incredible, because she's obviously a gifted writer. Well, that's the question. Who wrote it? Well, not not oh. even who, well that too, but like to a degree, but like um, not. It basically, it had. Well, first of all, it's this whole idea. Like, if you're a 15 year old who wrote your life stories on the street, right? Like homeless, right? you know, autodidact, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or you're a Jewish woman from New York, Brooklyn with parents in education who studied creative writing at the new college, new school. Mm -hmm. You're just being judged on a different criteria. I mean, you really are. I mean, you really, it's like people who don't think that, that affects the perception I don't agree with. I I really don't. But I mean, if you enjoy the books and they are, you get something out of them, great. Like who cares? You read a book and it supports the publishing publishing industry. I think that's yeah. fantastic. Wonderful. But like, I think the other question is like, she also had, and this is what Nancy Romelin brings up in the documentary. She had multiple editors simultaneously, like Dave Eggers to I mean, multiple editors working on her books simultaneously, like really the best writers in the country right. crafting oh, wow. the stories. Right. And, and they were going around yeah. like almost like a surrealist corpse at times. Like, mm-hmm. like Bruce Benderson was editing them to this one. I mean, not to say the story is hers. I think, you know, that story, or it isn't even like she did, you know, her um, needle exchange and grab the stories of street kids, you know, in uh, in the tenderloin. So the story is hers and maybe it was right lifted from some random Mm -hmm. kid from the tenderloin. And then she had years of, you know, research and development and practicing with Dr. Terrence Owens, you know, working that out. She's right. I mean, what she's saying about Laura Elbert and in that clip, I mean, she's absolutely right about, you know, there's... It's such a, God, it's such a complicated story. This JT Leroy story is so complicated because you have someone who is trying to pull the wool over literally the entire literary world's eyes Mm -hmm. with, uh, and, and it's like, what, why you didn't need to, it's so Mm -hmm. weird. It's so weird. And Marjorie is, was such a great guest to come onto this, um, I'm, I'm I'm curious why why you picked this clip among many others that you could have picked. What was the theme about this one that really grabbed you? Um, it it was about kind of the you know where where she came from in writing this and why taking on the performative kind of like uh, pen name uh, of J T. Leroy and setting up this other person to be kind of this uh, you know this face like you know doing this whole Millie Vanilli thing. <laughs> Simply because, you know, and if you follow the Millie Vanilli story, you know exactly why mm-hmm. those producers put these two handsome young men as, you know, the face of their, you know, music uh, right. production team. And it's because that those two guys would not have sold as many records. And mm-hmm. this is kind of the same story to me. And it it's really, you know, it's it's kind of a bummer because this was the whole time was bringing, you know, forward the lives of, you know, transgender youth and, you know, the problems of homelessness and the, and the, uh, in the queer community. And, mm-hmm. you know, so there was a positive outcome that could have been had, had this not been a complete ruse and, and completely fake. Yeah, um, right. So it it's uh, it's it's a really interesting story, and I thought that kind of wrapped up everything. Yeah, I I mean, I, it's interesting because you did watch Author then also, which is the Laura Albert centric mm-hmm. uh, uh, right. doc that came out HBO. Paco, did you watch that one? I did. Too? Yeah, did you watch yeah. Author. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we've all mm-hmm. watched it. So it's interesting because like having seen this first, I really couldn't 
take author completely at face value. And yeah, I mean, I think these points about like something was owed to that community, like the, Mm. you know, HIV positive, like sex worker, like, you know, San Francisco community was like actually damaged by what she did. And she never kind of owned to like being kind of like the Rachel Dolezal of that era. And and that does come up in that episode, you know, Rachel Dolezal comes up in Mm -hmm. that, you know, that is a, a group of people that, uh, you know, especially at that time really needed a voice. And even I think, you know, more so now and to have that reach that level uh, Mm -hmm. of popularity and to have like all these, you know, celebrities and stuff coming out and supporting this and to have that be completely fake and have like, you know, that voice of yours is not really represented by you. Yeah. By someone in your community. Do you guys know people that are Laura Albert defenders at all? Because I have a friend who has listened to this show and listened to this episode and said that he came to a completely different conclusion about, Mm. about, about this whole thing. And they think that like basically Laura Albert should have been allowed to be a pen name and you know, she, that she was really like, you know, the talent that made it all work. Right. And if you know anyone else who felt that way. I don't, but I, I, I see, I mean, that's her whole, Laura Albert's whole point of view on this was that this was all part of the rich tapestry that is her work, that the mm-hmm. pen name and the character that played J- JT Leroy, the character, and then the embodiment of that character. Mm-hmm. Yes, Savannah <laughs> Noop, yeah. Yeah, and then the constant backpedaling, and the, you know, like, yeah, uh, it's always all part of her one man, one woman show that is JT Leroy. I mean, it's hard mm-hmm. to, I mean, come on. I would say watch both movies. I think people yeah. need to watch both films sure. to just get an overall picture, even though, in a way, this is it has this blown its relevance because there's now a uh, uh, a fiction version which i think is based on maybe savannah noop's uh memoir which Mm. is laura dern playing laura albert and Kristen stewart playing savannah and i think it showed at toronto international film festival uh i kind of skimmed a review it seemed pretty bad like a bad review Uh, kind of like are people oh people are kind of over it maybe by now no but, yeah. not um, americans dude americans were born on <laughs> carny culture and mm-hmm. the sleight of hand and costuming and mass there's no way that is it's lost its relevance because that's what mm-hmm. this country is founded on but i maybe, mean we, mm-hmm. uh, but maybe it hasn't been uh, long enough you know because we had wild wild country was old mm-hmm. enough for mm-hmm. me to not quite know about it you know i was around right. but i was so young when that happened yeah. Um, so it coming out, you know, just recently was right. able to recontextualize the whole thing for, I think it's, right. you know, it's a lot about themes and this, the theme, part of the themes that, um, you, you touched on earlier, Will is like the judgment. Mm-hmm. We've all been judged and we will all continue to be judged right. and culture judging individuals, judging families, judging boyfriends, girlfriends, wives, husbands, judging, judging is a part of the human nature. And that's what kind of, I think, um, Marjorie is talking about when in the clip that you picked is like, is this, you know, people are constantly being judged and like what Laura Albert did, in my opinion, was to, to circumvent that she created even more of it, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, well, like a lot of the times it's like it's it wasn't what you did. It was the cover up that's right. going to get you in Absolutely. trouble. Yeah, I agree. I, I do. I, I do want to bring up something, which is people 
kind of do now have multiple online identities or like, let's say you have a fake email account to like, like I was in a band with a guy who had a fake email account to be his own manager, which was kind of, he thought it was like funny and uh, it was just sort of like a way to like get around certain things. But it was like, clearly he was like, you know, I, I think like it maybe it would be different now. Like this entire thing would play out differently now in terms of like you could have like kind of a digital uh, alternate identity and it's a little bit maybe more accepted, but uh, I don't you know, know about that. You don't think so? Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, Kurt, Kevin Durant got into a lot of trouble because he had that dummy Twitter account yeah. that would always defend him. <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And then he made a mistake by co- like using the same tweet in both of his accounts. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. People are getting caught. I mean, like, yeah, you can get caught. As, I think it depends on like how you go into it. But I just, just a side thing I wanted to bring up, like maybe yeah. this would play out slightly differently today. Or maybe this person would have been, you know, more ruthlessly uh, ostracized had Twitter been around in 2005 oh. or six or whatever. Yeah. Fuck, yeah. I can't even imagine. Sure. I mean, course. she got dragged a lot. I mean, she basically got taken down by the New York times. So, right. It, right. yeah. So anyway, okay. it's just sort of like a pre Twitter public shaming story in a <laughs> yeah. way too. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Watch both. Watch author and cult of JT Leroy. I think I they're both think that- interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that is a really good um, advice. Yeah, watch because they're actually both pretty. They're both great. Do- I mean, as far as like the filmmaking part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so George, um, episode twenty nine. Why don't you uh, set this up for us? Right. So I've known Bill Hudson for a pretty long time, kind of from like the noise scene, which was like uh, kind of like it didn't. It kind of was like a statewide or West Coast wide like noise scene. Uh, he's involved in a bunch of different projects, most recently clipping, which is, uh, you know, the rap project with David Diggs and Jonathan Snipes and Bill. And, uh, we invited him on before David Diggs completely blew up into the stratosphere, uh, through Hamilton and is now in everything. I think like if, if you could have the career of David Diggs or Aquafina, then you're doing good. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, uh, Bill Hudson uh, is from the Bay, and he worked on the soundtrack to Room 237, which is a film by Rodney Asher, which is basically breaking apart The Shining. It's like maybe five or six people's perspectives on what the subtext of The Shining actually is. Like one person thinks The Shining is basically Kubrick confessing to the moon landing. One person (laughs) thinks it's about the Native Americans being uh, genocided. Some people think that one guy has a whole thing about how it mirrors itself if you play it forwards and backwards at the same time. Basically, it's kind of like this meta textual thing or it's like basically taking apart The Shining from all these different angles. But what they did, Jonathan and Bill got invited to do the soundtrack for this. And uh, they uh, were invited by Rodney to do this. And uh, there was a, you know, but if you listen to the episode, they kind of get into that story. Uh, it's kind of a two-part episode because we also talk about the Lil Wayne documentary, The Carter. Lil Wayne just dropped Carter 5. So, which is yeah. really counter to, the, when you if you watch The Carter, you think Lil Wayne is about to die in like 2000. <laughs> eight or something. So the fact that the Carter is still, uh, uh, he, he, you know, Lil Wayne himself is going strong, but this is a discussion about, uh, being involved in room 237. Uh, I think Bill and Jonathan were invited to go to the Stanley Kubrick fest 
because of Room 237. So this is a discussion about that. And we recorded this in San Francisco, yeah, episode 29, very early on. We, I don't think I, yeah, I was still living in the Bay when this happened. So yeah, here we go. We did, we went um, to a uh, film fest um, in like 2013, the Stanley Film Fest, which is at the Stanley Hotel, which is where uh, Stephen King wrote The Shining. It's about that haunted hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, and they have a horror fest. And so the first year oh, of it, cool. they invited us and they did this panel that was amazing. That was, um, it was called the secrets of the shining and it was Rodney in the, in, in the middle in between Leon Vitale, who is Stanley Kubrick's best friend, assistant director. And he played Lord Bullington in, in, um, Barry Lyndon and the, uh, the leader of that cult. He plays the one in the red cloak in, um, eyes wide shut. And then, uh, one of the guys from room 237, Jay Widener, the one who thinks Kubrick faked the moon landing. Right. The moon landing. And guy. then <laughs> Mick Garris, who uh, directed all of those uh, TV miniseries of all of the uh, Stephen King movies. So oh, he did the TV oh, miniseries, like The, the Shining. And, stuff, yeah. and yeah, he did like... Oh, the Stephen Weber one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did all that stuff. And he's in charge of those Masters of Horror movies, uh, those Masters of Horror shows. Yeah, Mick Garris. And so it was Mick Garris basically standing in as Stephen King's good buddy. Leon standing in as Stanley's Stanley Kubrick's good buddy. Rodney in the middle and then Jay Widener claiming everyone faked the moon landing. It was bananas because like Leon, Leon and Mick were like sniping at each other about which one's better, the book or the movie. And and Mick Mick kept being like, "Uh, guys, I'm the one who made the version of The Shining that really is the book, The Shining. And Leon would be like, ah, who cares? It sucks. It's a dumb book. Stanley's a genius. Wow. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Um, It's still, it's, I I find it just still mind boggling that people think that the moon landing was faked and that Stanley Kubrick was behind it. Do you guys, either of you guys feel that way? You do a little I bit? I don't, not at oh, all. Okay. I, not at all, but I think I, I am, I will always indulge like a wacky idea. <laughs> sure. Like that. I, oh man. I mean, cause I'm, when we went to this festival and hung out with Jay Widener, that mm-hmm. guy, yeah. like we had flown into the Denver International Airport and then drove up to Estes Park and the Denver, Denver Airport, there's all of this amazing conspiracy theory stuff about it, about how it's built over these bunkers that the New World Order and the reptoids are going to live in when they gas the planet to die back the population. Sweet. Um, and that it's got all these crazy, you got to look it up. It's got all these crazy murals about like what what they're going to do. They're going to kill everyone off. It's got like these weird like poison, like gas masked stormtroopers like massacring in people. In the mural in at the, the Denver? At the airport, yeah. And the airport, like when you when you pull up, there's this like, Sixty foot tall, um, blue bucking horse that they think they, they everyone calls the pale horse of the apocalypse, and it's got these bright glowing red eyes and this like giant horse dick, and like you could, and it's it's horse asshole is like really really <laughs> d- detailed, and it's got like bulging veins all over its. This neck. is like the nightmare, it's freaking yeah. terrifying. Yeah. Uh, and it's like at the airport at That's the like airport inside. as you drive it, you can't not pass it to wow. get to the airport, and it's and it killed the sculptor like. It fell on the sculptor oh. right as it was finished and it killed him. What people are? Uh, they, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> what Jay was like? Oh, you flew into the Dia, like the Denver International Airport, and he was like, "You should check out." Some, and so I just got. I what w- terminal? What airline? <laughs> I, I don't. I it must don't be know domestic, what, right? It's, it's one of the biggest are, yeah. um, airports in the U.S. It's massive. Right. Uh, it's probably a hub because of where they look. It's a huge it. hub, yeah. um, and they built it new. Uh, the, the, basically, it's a giant amalgam of terrible choices that are just, <laughs> it's just bureaucracy 
<laughs> it's not actually evil. It's just like bad right. design and bureaucracy and uh-huh. compromises everywhere. But I can see how you can wander around and be like, this is yeah. Satan. This yeah, is yeah. hell. This is some demon made this place. But really, it's just like badly laid right. out. Kind of like O'Hare has those horrible Blues Brothers statues all over the place. <laughs> kind of the same feel. Right, right. That's hilarious. Yeah, I didn't know anything about that whole conspiracy theory about uh, the Denver airport. Also, he kind of has more in that episode about Leon Vitale, like hanging out and drinking with Leon Vitale. And I got to point out, I haven't seen it yet. There is a Leon Vitale film uh, that came out last year called Film Worker. And I'm trying to figure out where to see it. It looks like you can, you know, rent it streaming on Amazon. But uh, yeah, I'm very curious about that. That guy sounds pretty fucking fascinating. Like Kubrick's best friend, right hand man. Come on, right. that's got to be like so many crazy stories in there. So is yeah. he still alive, Leon Vitale? Uh, I want to say he was when that film came out, which was only a year ago. So probably, mm. yeah, I think he's probably still around. And yeah, so I also have known. I uh, Bill has like a lot of opinions about things and like is a very good talker. So even though I, he hadn't really, I think he, the only podcast he'd done before this one was Song Exploder when they were explaining like how they put together a clipping track. So I was like, uh, this is going to be really interesting to have him on here. So yeah, uh, I feel pretty good about that episode. I do have a friend who has listened to that episode and takes kind of umbrage about how we talk about Lil Wayne, but also <laughs> he is like friends with or co-produced that film. So oh, that could okay. be why. Um, yeah. So right. I, I, I've actually been meaning to get him to come on too. He also produced like a film about Lee scratch Perry and stuff. So uh, I, it's on my list of people I need to get to come on this show. Um, I also, you know, like that most of these clips, not all these clips, but a lot of these clips, like you would have no idea this is what it was going to be based on just reading the description of the episode or the title of the episode. Right. You'd be like, oh, it's a guy from a band talking about Lil Wayne. You didn't know it was going to digress into this whole thing about going to the Stanley Kubrick Festival in Denver or, or and, learning about a haunted airport. Dude, the and the horse. You know, uh, my brother lives in Denver and we were driving to the Denver airport. He was dropping me off mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my God, it's the horse. And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and knew. I was like, it's the horse. It's the horse that Will, that Bill was talking about. And he's like, what, Lucifer? And I was like, oh, you guys call Lucifer. it Lucifer. <laughs> oh, man. It's gigantic. It's not when he was talking about it originally in my head. That's why I was asking, like, well, what gate? Like, I thought it was like a a statue, you know, like a 10 foot statue. It's like four stories tall. It's huge. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's gigantic. And he's right. It's blue and it has red eyes and it has a big dick and it's (laughs) it's, uh, scary as fuck. And the locals call it Blucifer. I feel like Denver has a lot of weird shit. Colorado has a lot of weird shit going on. I mean, Hunter Thompson was there. It seems like to be this kind of weird libertarian. Uh, it's obviously yeah. got this weird, like got weed and guns. I don't know yeah. what's going on there. One of those types. A lot of, of shootings. <laughs> yeah. Well, Will, you're from Oklahoma, isn't that kind of? You guys kind of kind of have yeah, some of that we, stuff, we don't touch, you? The, the Panhandle touches uh, Colorado, <laughs> and when weed got legalized uh, in Colorado, there were you know. People I know out there would start doing their weed trips. Um, 
and it became <laughs> a thing. You know, they were bringing this high grade uh, weed into Oklahoma. And so, uh, oh my God, my cats are going crazy. Uh, so <laughs> it, uh, no, and, and now Oklahoma's legalized weed. So it's, it's not, that, oh, that's, it what it, that's what it got to. Yeah. Wow. Dude, they've, I didn't know that. I didn't know Oklahoma legalized weed. Yeah. It's, uh, just a few months ago and then the state government is trying to keep it from happening. Um, isn't there. Isn't there like a famous song about Oklahoma and like weed smokers and like, I'm going to like, don't you bring your long hair weed smokers over here. And oh, I don't know. Yeah. Right. Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. People say. Okay. Yeah. So will you, um, let's move on. So will you picked, uh, episode 45. Uh, we did the doc wiener wiener. Yeah. We did this, uh, right after the 2016 election. Uh, so it was very. You guys remember very, that? You guys remember that election? Anyone remember that one? Uh, so it was very fresh, and in the time between the documentary coming out and the time that we recorded that um, that episode, not only had the 2016 election happen, but the whole reopening of the email case right like what two weeks before the election. Um, right. James Comey came Comey, out. Comey, yeah, yeah, our friend Comey. Uh, it, uh, and it kind of, you know, the numbers weren't, the polls weren't great for Hillary, but she still had that advantage. And Mm -hmm. this just really tanked her in a way that she didn't recover from that Mm -hmm. I think directly led to the election of Donald J. Trump. Uh, as right, because it was Wiener's phone or Wiener's uh, computer or something. Cell phone. Yeah, Yeah, it was, it was the investigation of of Anthony Weiner dipped into the investigation Puma of Abedin, yeah. Yeah, of of Hillary Clinton's email server, mm-hmm. but nothing turned up. Right. Nothing came out of it. They're except like we're going to reopen it, but it's fine. <clears throat> except for president, except for Donald Trump becoming president. Yeah, uh, right. Uh, yeah. So and our uh, guest, our yeah, our uh, guest yes. was uh Megan Keister. Uh and in this short clip uh, this is basically the theme that you guys kept talking about was just walk away and don't do it. But the compulsion of Anthony Weiner and, um, you know, other people who this thing has happened to since, uh, who just can't stop doing things, even though they know it's wrong. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm going to go ahead and play it now. There's a really flippant attitude about it now. I don't think anybody considers like the long reaching repercussions or implications of having your genitals in the cloud. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody thinks about the permanence of your dick being in the cloud. Like, oh, you're horny right now. So you're going to send this girl a picture of your dick. But it's not just, this isn't a 30 second thing. She's not going to just look at it and it's going to disappear. No. Your dick is going to be in the cloud in perpetuity. Yeah. Since the first time you yeah. send your day to the cloud. I just want like the class and the effort that it took for like a Cynthia plaster caster to just get in person and just take a mold. <laughs> it's more accurate and specific. So, yeah, pretty quick there. But <laughs> um, yeah, I think that goes with a lot of things these days is that the stuff that you put on the Internet is forever. And right. so we're seeing that a lot with, uh, you know, unfortunately the James Gunn thing, uh, oh, yeah. you know, with trolls kind of coming in and swooping in and, and taking that kind of stuff out of context. 
But oh, there's yeah. the other stuff of where you thought you were doing that in secret. Um, and that's coming out finally <laughs> and taking a lot Who of time. Who was it that like that? Oh, it was a uh, Dean Norris from Breaking Bad, like on Twitter, just oh, typed sex in like gifs. sex gifs <laughs> and like just got clowned for a week uh, about it. As far as I know, that that tweet is still up. Wow. <laughs> he kind of he kind of rolled with it and and never deleted it. Didn't Ted Cruz like look up some porn thing, but he accidentally put it on Twitter? He liked, he liked it. Yeah, he liked, he liked a, some. A porn he liked clip. the porn thing on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, why do they have that function? Like uh, share the share with friends well, that, and family this gangbang or whatever. Yeah, you, you dude. There, the, yeah. the idea of dick pics in the cloud. That's just like there's so much imagery there. It's mm-hmm. so funny. Yeah, this was this was a great interview. This was really interesting to hear her uh, take on the entire debacle mm-hmm. that was yeah. Anthony Weiner. And this, I mean, this documentary. Oh, there is it's cringe every yeah. six seconds. Yeah, it's yeah. it's tough to watch even now. But then you know, you you guys also talk in in this whole discussion about the moments where you where um, Anthony Weiner switches on. And you see mm. why people liked him in the first place, and you understand right. that completely. And yeah. it, and you all kind of get into the how do you separate what is actually harming, harmful to people. And in the right. case of Anthony Weiner, I think you know there was potential to actually be harmful to people. Whether or not he actually was is up for discussion. But well, he got nailed for communicating with underage with underage, women, right? yeah, underage with underage girls, women. yeah. So yeah. it. Girls, I guess you'd say, since they're not women yet. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So why do it? He just kept doing it, though. It's That's the thing. Um, Yeah, the compulsion. It's control. I mean, it's... It comes back to control and wanting, you know, living on the edge. Like he didn't, he was like a workout freak, you know, and uh-huh. he was tightly wound and tightly controlled. And this was his little, you know, this was his little freak out. Right. This is, was yeah. his smoking pot. And, you know. Now, this, Paco, maybe you, you remember, maybe you remember this. Was sometimes when we do an episode, we pick the doc first and then we figure out who the guest should be. Or we mm-hmm. like kind of fish like, hey, who is it? Who saw this? Who liked it? I can't remember. Right. I think I had wanted Megan to do the show already, but then this yeah. kind of just came up. Like we have to do this because it's like just in the news right now. Who's a good guest for this? And it ended That's up right. being that we <laughs> yeah. got Megan Keister, who is like a like a great writer, great comic. Uh, she just did a book with Meryl Marco about basically I, I don't do you remember the premise of the book it is like basically women have been shit on historically forever well it's called the indignities of being a woman yes. so yeah and it's an audio book that I think our friend Nick Stargue may have like helped uh, do some audio stuff for this mm-hmm. and Meryl Marco also like legendary comedy writer legendary yeah, yeah. so uh, Megan, is, Megan is like a very uh, she's like a very strong internet presence uh, writer for Vice like you know killing it on Twitter just uh kind of one of the main people that was really taking down Louie like you know two years ago like right. going to Montreal JFL and really asking the hard questions so <laughs> she I feel like she kind of had some weird sympathy for Anthony Weiner in yeah this, though. Um, that was an interesting take too and I and I kind of got that out of out of mm-hmm. her and but it was also that you know he also deserved what he got 
you know? Right. Well, it's yes. sort of like we shouldn't kink shame, but also like don't be an asshole. Like right. physically is kind of like, both you know, it's, yeah, it's just like the, the consequences of like what that does to your family, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, what, you know, how it, 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 it ruined his wife's career as well. You know, yeah, his kind yeah. of selfish actions, you know, really and did. the country. The country. Let's not forget about the country. I gotta say, I I donated a little bit of money to Beta O'Rourke, and we're recording this basically at the beginning of October. So I really hope nothing negative comes out about him soon, because I feel like he's like our our chance to like at least you know replace fucking Ted Cruz. So and he seems like from all I can tell now, a good dude. But who knows, you know, the, the the stuff they try to nail people on. He was like, he maybe he wore a dress when he was playing in a punk band. But like, that's what just what you did back then. Yeah. Uh, I don't well, know how it doesn't play in Texas is the only problem. So Well, I, I'm wondering yeah. who comes after Ted Cruz, you know, because if Ted Cruz <sighs> gets booted out, you know, someone's going to come in and take that place. If, if Ted Cruz decides to not run again, um, you know, when when that term comes up again. Uh, yeah. So, well, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. we'll see. I um, mean, the elections okay, so are around the corner. Yeah, for when they you are. hear this. Yeah. All right, moving on. So, um, I the next the next uh, clip we're gonna do from the episode sixty six is we uh, talk to Baron Vaughn, a uh, very talented comedian and actor, um, and he. He wa- he was going to talk about something else, but he we, we found out through talking to him that he had a documentary called Fatherless that he made himself mm-hmm. uh, that was on Amazon Prime, and I was like, wow, well, let's like let's talk about the documentary you actually made that's mm-hmm. so personal to you. Um, and so it's called Fatherless, and Baron ba- grew up with just a single mom, and he had never known his dad, and this was a documentary that he got a chance to make to find his father. And mm-hmm. I guess, um, you know, not to uh, spoil alert, but it happens. And mm-hmm. in this clip you're going to hear, he talks about why he decided to make this doc about the about again about being judged as being like a black guy with a single mom and what that means, the stereotypes around mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And um, and then ultimately seeing his dad. So that's the clip from episode 66. There is a trope. There's an idea about how it is I would be or should be if I grew up in a single mother household knowing that my father left. Mm -hmm. There's an idea of how that's supposed to look like. And I've never, ever looked like that. I've never, ever felt like that. And I wanted to put out a story of what that looks like so that way people can know Mm -hmm. if if this is their experience, oh, I'm okay being who I am. Or if you know someone who had that experience, maybe you won't jump to conclusions about who they are right. based on that little piece of information. Or it's more like when there's policies that are sort of based around these ideas about yes. like, oh, like, you know, people that were like trying to like, you know, affect like welfare and things like that. And, and that's like, another thing that I would have wanted to study mm-hmm. deeply. Mm-hmm. I would have I would have wanted to study a little. I would have wanted to, I would have wanted to go deeper into my story with my mother and her side and kind of growing up and what that was like and kind of. Um, you know, filter that out into what addiction is in the black community to what mental health is in the black community. Mm-hmm. These things that that happen um, that are the result of social ideas, of policy, 
uh, and also how they just don't get addressed. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of everyone's kind of treated like, why don't you just be better? Stop being criminals. Right. And then your whole society would be better. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's like, uh, that doesn't address what Reagan did. So. Yeah. No. yeah. Um, and I used to have a joke just kind of like, you know, oh, it doesn't matter. I can't even remember it off the top of my head, but I would point at Reagan. Uh, so <laughs> I wanted to go deeper into that and social policy, how that kind of and all this, mm-hmm. all these ways that these ideas yeah. kind of get turned into they're they're looked at and they're taken as fact mm-hmm. yeah. of a people. Yeah. Thus, if we have any policies about those people, then these are the facts about who they are. They're criminals. And mm-hmm. so we need to make these policies and we need to shove them into certain places in the city. So that way they only kill each other. Am right. I right? Who's with me? <laughs> all, all in favor say yay. <laughs> all opposed say nay. <laughs> <laughs> the yays happen. <laughs> but wait, I like to see where you had your buddies. Uh, oh, yeah. There. Oh, Open yeah. Mike, your eight best friends. Lynn Robinson. Oh, your four best uh, friends. My four other best <laughs> friends. Open Mike Eagle. Yeah, because they're all, well, Lil Rel and Open Mike are fathers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Mike is married. I, um, Lil Rel, I'm, I actually don't remember. I think him and his wife are not together, or his ex wife mm-hmm. are not together anymore, but they are having a decent, you know, sharing of custody yeah. with their mm-hmm. kids. And Leonard is married and trying to have kids. So, He's always wanted to be a father. Mm -hmm. And then also I wanted to pick them because they all had different, like Leonard grew up um, with his, both his parents in the house. I think that Lil Rel did as well. Mm -hmm. And Mike's parents split up. Mm. So he was raised by a single mother who, instead of addiction, church for her. Right. You know, in Chicago. Right. And so... Yeah, exactly. Like if you church can be an addiction, it can be the answer to all your problems and the thing that you use to judge others with. Mm -hmm. And the thing you say, like, you know what? You go sit in front of the TV. I've got church to go to. Exactly. So I wanted to have that group of men together, you know, to kind of speak about the subject, you know, and kind of because they all had their own ideas. Again, that was a two hour conversation that was awesome that we could only use a snippet of. Same with Rain, only use a snippet. Even the professor right. at UC, yeah, USC like, yeah, a great, yeah. Yeah. had a great talk with that guy. And, um, but you know, like mm-hmm. the realities of the situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a long talk with my dad. Yeah. Out in the park? In the park. I remember we, we, we talked, we That's walked your around. That's first ever meeting. First every meet. Yeah. First every meet. We talked, we walked around, and then he left. And I remember turning everyone, I was like, okay, so what do we got? Like 20 minutes of footage? And they're like, we were here for two and a half hours. <laughs> You thought it was 20 minutes? Because in my mind, yeah. I'm just trying to be so present. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. all of the feelings I ever had, yeah. I was just like, shut up. Just be here in this park with this dude. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. just a dude. Yeah. yeah. And it was just kind of, I had to keep reminding myself of that. Yeah. yeah the yeah. scenes where you're like, you're like on, even like when you're like getting the voicemail, just the, the oh. range of emotions you go through oh my God. in like two minutes. And it's just like knowing that like, uh, oh yeah, you're a comedian. So you're just going to like, I, this is not, not serious. Yeah. But then like, uh, my, like I was that. watching it and I was like, of course that's his dad. They have the same head. And then it cuts and it's like, I need to get a DNA test. I was like, you have the same head. That, it's funny when I watched the rough cut of the doc and I saw what we looked because I'm and when I'm sitting with him, I'm just sitting with him. Yeah. right? But when I saw the footage of us together, yeah. that was my friend. I'm like, we yeah. got the same head. You that's both literally I said that out you loud both to the screen. Tilted your head down at the same time when you're walking in huh. the same way. And I was and like, a, and we sat on the bit bench and it was the same. We did the same yeah. thing with our feet. Yeah. We both had our arm up. I'm like, <laughs> I don't even believe in like all that, you know, like everything similar DNA. Uh-huh. I didn't even believe it. And then I saw it. I'm like, come on. Are yeah. you kidding? Because actually the day after that we met, we went to lunch him and I just him oh, and nice. I no, curl, no cameras yeah. no. and you know he actually told me there he's like you know 
I know we're going to do this DNA test, but I'm, I'm pretty certain you're my son. Oh, cool. He's like, I, I'm pretty sure that, you know, that, you, that you're my son. And, and, uh, so he, he actually at least said that to my face that nice. he felt certain yeah. about mm-hmm. it, that he was, he felt like, you know, I'm, that he was happy that we've started this, this dialogue. Uh, and then, you know, I'm looking at this dude two days of looking at him. Yeah. And then he leaves the lunch, right? I went to the bathroom and when I looked in the mirror, Oh wow! It's the first time I've ever saw. Oh, I like saw his face yeah, in my yeah. face. That's that's the part that, that I mean. There's so much in this that clip about mm-hmm. uh, about this documentary, but I, I, for me, like listening to this entire episode, this was these moments is when when it, I was like, this is this is why I wanted to do this podcast because this is a, a a guy who is very successful um in his own right and he makes a documentary about looking for his dad and then we get this these be behind the scenes tidbits about um you know you have long interviews that get into short clips and then these beautiful moments like that the ending about looking in the mirror and saying fuck i no longer see my mom now i get to see my dad i mean that is just it's just a beautiful moment mm-hmm. i thought mm-hmm yeah and it yeah and there's it's this conversation is so great there were so many different clips i wanted to use but i mean that for me kind of summed up um like kind of like what we're trying to do with Subdoc, which is like we want to talk about documentary but we really want to get to know our guests as well mm-hmm. and i think this was the first time we've ever talked to anybody that was the subject of a of a documentary yeah i i talked to pat spurgeon uh from right. uh, the film detour uh drummer for rogue wave about his uh, dialysis he had to do before he got a kidney transplant. But yeah, uh, it's a little bit different. I mean, because Baron was not the director. He worked with a director on this, but it's clearly like his project. So right. yeah, and it's his story. And the other psychological thing, I mean, we get deep into like family stuff and like uh, father issues is like he kind of was also about to ha- I don't I don't think he knew this when he was making the film but he him and his partner uh pregnant so he had a kid sh- I think a couple months after this episode came out a little while after the well, documentary had come out well you're all, and he announces it in this in this episode yeah, he announces that he's that he's having a kid in this and it's sort of like I think it's kind of similar to when people you know come from like adoption or something there's kind of like a lot of stuff you kind of need to figure out for yourself before you think about having a kid because I think it just brings up so much stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, and we talk about in this, now that he had found his father, he's becoming a father and it helped him be grounded enough to want to be a father mm-hmm. by find it's just beautiful. It's very beautiful. Like I it's just, there's so many things in this that were so touching and, you, and we, and we find out in this, I don't know how much I should, well, who cares in this, we find out too, that his sister he, through his dad <laughs> w- works in the same business right? as, he, and was working on a set in New York where he had worked at huh. and yeah. th- they've put it together after this documentary, they put it together that like they probably because she worked with Aparna. Oh, and, wow. uh, she, yeah, she's she she's not she's not uh, she's in the crew side. She did mm-hmm. like production stuff, and they were like, we actually probably could have we could have worked together at some point. His sister, mm-hmm. isn't that awesome? I just yeah. think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, 
and and then um, yeah, we get into father stuff, and and uh, yeah, I, I just re- I really enjoyed this this episode um, because there's so much, and I feel like this is kind of again this is one of the reasons we chose these kind of moments from all the hundred episodes that we did is like for me this really galvanizes the yeah. idea of what kind of sup doc is it's like it's more than just we're just recapping a documentary because we really want to get to know our guests as well so yeah i thought this was awesome and yeah and i've always been a huge fan of barons it was great one time he did a drop in at talkies that we completely did not expect to happen yeah that was i remember um, that yeah, and he's just great comic. My neighbor apparently like lives very close to where I live. Also, <laughs> one thing I learned from this uh, recording session is to always let people know if they're going to come over to my house that I have a cat because ah, he right. <laughs> we have these little puffy Mike puffy things, and right. he was like holding one to his mouth, and he's like, "Do you have a cat?" And we're like, "Yeah." He's like, "Oh, I uh, need to wash my face right now. I cannot use this puffy. I'm yeah. very, very allergic to cats." So right. I, I, I learned make a note of that now. I learned not to wear jeans and a heavy <clears throat> shirt in 110 degree. Oh my gosh, uh, LA. Oh yeah. Oh my. Oh yeah. That w- that was that was that was tough, but um, yeah, that's all. And just describe real quick what talkies is. I'm not sure all our listeners know. Okay, so that's a show that uh, I used to run in San Francisco. I actually started it with Anna Saragina, and then uh, it's had a lot of different producers. Now that I live down here, Will is one of the producers mm-hmm. with uh, I believe Scott Vermeer, Land Smith, Aviva Siegel. Nick Stargue, yep, uh, pretty hot crew of like really funny, like kind of alternative, uh, genre bending, uh, you know, live performance. So that's yeah, that's awesome. that show, and I I really miss that show. The more I think about like, you know, it forced me to do something different every month. Firstly, right. and then it was just like more like having a band than uh, you know than stand up usually is, which mm-hmm. is very solo. So it was like right good to just bounce ideas off other people and like yeah. a really uh, fun group of people to work with. So that's where is that happening now? Well, is it, uh, on the it same is, it is Friday happening the at the it's every second Friday um, at the All Out Comedy Theater in Uptown Oakland. Uh, so it's a nice, uh, fairly new little venue uh, that is comedy specific. They've been making a lot of improvements on it in the last year. It's a great little space for for comedy. It's fantastic for talkies. Nice. Awesome. And speaking of bands, uh, let's, George, go to your next clip. Okay. Um, you great. have episode five for us. Yeah, this actually does a little bit tie in to talkies because that's a show that I'd started at ATA and then we moved it to Lost Weekend Video. And our guest on episode five, very early on, like we were still figuring out a lot of things which you can kind of maybe hear in the audio quality of this. <laughs> but uh, Adam Failer... This is pre-Will. Yeah, yeah, before Will was on. Adam Failer, who's the uh, drummer for the band Jawbreaker, was the owner of Lost Weekend Video, uh, just a, a music guy who's like been around the mission forever. Um, I When we were going to do Montage of Heck, the Brett Morgan documentary that came out on HBO... We we're just really just kind of like juggling ideas. Do you remember us having any other ideas about who we wanted to talk to about Montage of Heck, Paco? Or was it just I, I automatically was like, oh, Adam needs to be the guest on this? Well, yeah, I think it was automatically Adam because of his background. Yeah, Right. Because his band Jawbreaker actually had gone on tour with Nirvana. It was just like a Southwest leg of a tour. But like, I don't know anyone else 
who was living in San Francisco at the time who had been on a tour with Nirvana. So uh, I knew he had some stories. I'm like, can you, do you have stories about that tour? He's like, oh yeah, I got stories. He's been probably <laughs> dining out on these stories for the last 25 years. So, um, and uh, we, we knew him because he, you know, ran the venue we were doing stuff at. So I, he came over to Paco's house and uh, because he's a drummer and not used to talking into microphones, he sometimes taps on the microphone throughout, <laughs> like telling a really good story about touring with Nirvana. He'll you'll just hear this weird tapping sound, but it's a really good long talk. And he's also because he worked at a video rental store, a, a big documentary fan, big movie buff. Uh, so he had a lot of other things to say that were insightful about just the intersection of the music scene and the documentary world. So here is Adam Fowler talking about his tour Jawbreaker opening for Nirvana. So, and my other like memory of that tour that we did was him sort of just thanking us at the end, giving us like stuff. Like he gave me something like he gave me a little rubber stamp um, that someone had given him. And it was just like a token of like, he, he, he kind of didn't, it wasn't like he bestowed it on me either. He goes, you want this thing? Someone just gave me this. And I was like, fuck yeah, I want that. Like this is, and I still have it. It's a little rubber stamp of a monkey. Oh, wow. And it says Nirvana. Like someone just gave it to oh, him as wow. a gift or something. And he didn't, you know, he's not going to be bothered to take everything that everyone gives him. So he just sort of doled it out to people. It seemed he so, sort of said, he said to me, uh, he goes, I think you guys really went over. I think you really did good. Like he kind of thanked us for coming along. But he said, like, I think you this you did. That was good. Like he kind of validated our performance because, you know, when you're the opening band and you're opening for a massive band like that, no one in the crowd gives a shit about your dumb group. Um, And you were going to they're going to boo you off the stage and they're going to give you shit. And, you know, you're going to take your lumps when you're in that position because they're just waiting for the the main attraction. So. He was like, yeah, you guys, I think you guys really went over really well. And I was, I was fucking thrilled to hear that from that guy. Yeah. Thrilled. Yeah. And oh. you got to see them every night. Too. We got to see them every single night from side stage from their mix. Like it was, it sounded amazing. That reminds me of one thing in the, when you see like early footage of them and they've got the other drummer, which I think is Chad. Yes. Uh, Channing in the beginning, like when they're just like jamming in the basement. And like, it really doesn't sound like the same band, even though it is still Kurt and Chris. So I do think Grohl brought a lot to that sound. And as a drummer, you could speak to that. Like, for sure. Grohl is like a great drummer. Great. He has like a great, he brought so much in terms of like fills and things to what they were doing. I mean, they're not like super, it's just like his, his feel is very good. Yeah, for, for sure. And doing. I mean, who didn't bite some of his moves mm-hmm. that plays drums? Yeah. You, you know, he's got a very it. Terry Bazio kind of feel to him. I think I was surprised to see him. Well, first of all, my first, when we first met those guys, I remember Kurt, um, I mean, Dave and, and Chris were before they were playing, we're just being we're just being hysterical backstage. They they were having like the time of their lives, it seemed to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that one interview where Kurt just 
tips his head over onto the table. They're just riffing with each other. They're for just sure. goofballs. Yeah, those and guys were like, awesome. I have no patience for that. And he just like checks out immediately. But those guys seem to be having the time of their life, really. And and Dave Grohl was super cool too because he came up and he goes like, he was talking to me about my sister's band. Like his, oh, yeah. you know, he was like, oh, your sister's in the voluptuous horror of Karen Black. I love that band. And he... Like apparently his girlfriend or wife at the time was super into the band and they'd gone to see him and stuff. Oh, that's so cool. Um, and he remembered that you and Scream had played together probably. Maybe, maybe yeah, so. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so that's, those are, those are my little t- sort of memories. And honestly, it's been so long. It's been over 20 years. Yeah. And then knowing, you know, I, I, it's funny how the, what you remember from those things, but because it was so outrageous for us to be on that tour, I remember thinking in those moments while they were happening, this is something special that's happening. Really pay attention to this. And I didn't even, I felt so privileged to be there that I didn't even want to like be rolling footage on this stuff or, you know what I mean? Or taking pictures or like, it was just sort of like, you're here, be act cool, act like you belong here. Yeah, act like you belong. And then, you know, and just have fun and be very, you know, be grateful that you got invited. And that's kind of where my mind was at. But I remember in those moments being like, this is fucking cool and you're going to remember this. And then those were my just couple of little takeaways which sort of supported a lot of what's in the documentary too which was here was a guy that wasn't super comfortable and at ease in his in his fame but was great like a great artist yes clearly yeah uh paco did you learn a lot about uh jawbreaker and nirvana in that talk because i feel like you you'd seen jawbreaker before right I, uh, yes. Yeah. I learned a ton. Are you kidding? I was kind of in awe during that entire, didn't we talk to him for like four hours? I feel like. Oh yeah. Cause we like stopped, we, we stopped rolling and then he just had more to say, which is like, yeah. he actually, yeah, there's actually a documentary about jawbreaker called don't break down, which I was supposed to go to a screening in LA at the Vista but I got to work on Westworld as an extra and I decided I was like, I guess I'm giving up this ticket to be. And then you can't even really tell that I'm in any of those scenes in Westworld. That's funny. So I'm just like, oh man, yeah, I could have seen that. Yeah. I learned so much and like just what he was talking about. I mean, I've, we, you and I have both been in bands and I've, I've been in bands that opened up for bigger and I understand that feeling of just like, I probably shouldn't be here. What is going on? Mm-hmm. I'm in awe. And then like when someone's, I remember him telling us, I don't remember if it's in this episode if it was after uh, we stopped recording because I, I don't know if people know this, but when you hit stop on record is when the true stories fucking come oh, out. Yeah. It never fails. Right. Yeah. But he was um, he was saying about how when they opened for Nirvana, there was a they opened. There was another band, then Nirvana. And that second band wouldn't talk to them. Do you remember that? <laughs> oh, maybe I do. And I don't remember which band that was. I'm trying to think who would have been on that tour with them. I don't yeah. remember either, but um, they went talk to them. And then uh, the the uh, Nirvana guys like uh, came over to to Jawbreaker and was like, hey, like, uh, what do you guys want to go after this? Do you want to go get some beers? You want to eat or whatever? Mm-hmm. And then the second band was like, oh, hey, guys, you know, they're oh, like kissing up to yeah. kind of thing. Um, probably but, some of the label forced them to tour with is probably how it worked out back then. Yeah. Yeah. Even though yeah, like they was- clearly had the power to bring whoever they wanted because it was like a big deal for like Jawbreaker was on an indie label 
they were they were kind of like it was a big deal that they were on that tour for so many reasons like it was like kind of a big deal in the punk community like people gave them endless shit for going on tour with a major label band quote unquote you know I, oh, that's funny oh the 90s yeah <laughs> it was the 90s but well, I was I was definitely in awe, which you can hear in that clip that you picked because I'm trying to be like, mm, he sounds like Terry Bozio. Like, just think of a drummer and say it, you know. I wait, who is and Terry Bozio? Like, I was thrown he's off. He's Zappa's that. drummer. Oh, okay. he's Frank Zappa's drummer, and then he's a big like rock and roll drummer. But I'm just like, I know somebody. You know? <laughs> Will, did you? What did you think? Because you weren't there for any of this. So when you listen back to this, did you have any thoughts? Uh, I I didn't listen to that full episode. Um, I still haven't gone well, back. Well, cut to this out. To cut this part ah. out. <laughs> uh, no, but it's uh, it is one that you know because I know Adam too. You know from mm-hmm. uh, just working Lost at, weekend and everything. At, yeah. You know working at Lost Weekend so much. Um, I'm not a you know I'm just not too familiar with Jawbreaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that they were around when I was in high school, um, but it just wasn't the kind of music I was listening to at the time. Uh, so it was, it's kind of neat to hear Adam, you know, I just kind of know him as Adam at last weekend, kind of talk about, mm-hmm. you know, where he was before he was at the video store and kind of the life he was leading. Yeah. And also just like how many people got to not only just, I mean, that's more than just seeing Nirvana. Like I never saw Nirvana. Did I didn't either. You guys, did I, I, I saw him. You did get Calum. to see him. Yeah. 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 Cause I never even got With that. The- yeah, I think I mentioned it in this episode. I saw the boredoms open up for Nirvana. Oh, crazy! Wow. That would yeah, have been great it was to nuts. see. I, I had a, yeah. I have a friend back home who did see Nirvana when they came to OKC, and mm-hmm. I'm insanely jealous because she's like, you know, I was. Uh, he died in '94. I was I was 13, uh, mm-hmm. so she was maybe 14, and wow. I, I'm just insanely jealous of of her because you know she went and saw like Pavement and everything and. And Smashing mm-hmm, Pumpkins, mm-hmm. which you can still go see the, those bands. They're going to reunite and do a reunion tour. At yeah, some point. I um, do, I willingly did not go see Smashing Pumpkins this last time. I, I was I'm not I'm still not into that band. So he I was on like uh, Alex Jones. He was on Infowars a couple. Yeah, times. he's an MRA. Uh, yeah. M, yeah, MRA. Uh, uh, yes, uh, guy now. Yes, he is. And uh, he also yeah. owns a stake of TNA Wrestling, uh, which is odd. No. <laughs> That's hilarious. So weird. I do uh, want to plug. I think this will hopefully be out by the time this is out. I was on a podcast about Nirvana called Heart Shaped Pod, and that was on the uh, Unpops Network. Uh, that was our friend Andy Sell and uh, Travis Clark and Adam Todd Brown's uh, podcast about Nirvana, and they were doing an episode about like grunge documentaries. So they mm-hmm. had me on for that. So that's kind of an cool. interesting crossover. Potentially, if you are a huge Nirvana head, uh, you might enjoy that. Uh, it might be, <laughs> it's a little bit, uh, there's a lot of jokes about uh, being murdered by Courtney Love. So uh, it <laughs> depends how you feel about that. So, Do you guys talk about Kurt and Courtney? Do you talk about those docs? I haven't seen Kurt and Courtney, so we didn't. So okay. m- They've talked about it a bunch on that show already. So it's kind of like oh, right. in yeah. the canon of, of that show, that is fact. So that is basically right, right. that show. But I'm like, it's, it's kind That's of funny. weird for me because I, I mean, you know, I know a lot of people from the Pacific Northwest that were around and actually knew the guy and stuff. So it's kind of, I mean, I make a couple jokes that I probably am like, I feel bad about this. If anyone who's actually friends with these people right. would hear them. And I, I know Patty Schemmel now, which is another weird thing hmm. from Hall. Uh, and she was good friends with Kurt. So I'm like, uh, I hope she never listens to this. She probably won't. Oh, that's, that's, 
That's one thing. I, the other thing I wanted to mention is that um, Adam told, I think after the recording too, he told us that he had a, a um, picture of yeah. him, of Kurt Cobain wearing a Jawbreaker t-shirt. Oh yeah. Holding it up. Um, yeah. Yeah. Holding it up. And, 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 and in the picture is, is Kurt's little baby and, and he yeah. sent it to us, a copy of it. And it's on our website. Oh, yeah. It's pretty it's cool. The episode. Yeah. If you're a fan of Jawbreaker or Nirvana or both, it's, it's cool. You should check it out. Yeah. Um, and so, okay, let's go to Will. Uh, more music 52. stuff. Yeah, more music, more music stuff. stuff. Yeah. Uh, this is from episode 52. Uh, and it's, we were reviewing, you were reviewing Tickled, uh, which. Um, Crazy. I don't even know if I, like for folks who haven't seen it, I don't want to spoil it because it was so. <sighs> like, it's amazing. It, it, I kind of, you, you guys, I think, told me to go into it cold and I did. And it was so worth it. Yeah. Um, Don't know um, too much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so I'm oh not going to, I'm not going to talk too much about the documentary, but I will talk about yacht. You know, I have to listen to you mm. guys yakking, um, you know, every episode <laughs> I've got to listen to it two or three times. Sorry. Let's just say sorry for now and forever. <laughs> uh, I got to listen to you guys two or three times per episode. And so when you have a couple of guests like you had with this episode, um, it makes that uh, a lot more enjoyable. Uh, they were fantastic <laughs> as guests. Their talks about the documentary was really I great. I love being roasted by Will right now in the middle of this <laughs> This is intro. awesome. No, that's good. We need, yes. Uh, awesome. But no, like you you all were having a really great time. And mm-hmm. there was a lot mm-hmm. that I, there was about a half hour I had to cut out uh, mm-hmm. of this that was really great. And I think we released that as a Patreon. Yeah, that's um, on Patreon. So, you know, if you're, if you're willing to pay. Uh, you can uh, listen please, to that, please. Uh, but there's uh, at least another half hour that I cut out. It was just, mm-hmm. you know, you guys just having fun, uh, mm-hmm. kind of at their home, hanging out. Um, and so the clip that I pulled out of here was kind of went into a greater thing about, um, kind of podcast slash Netflix justice. Um, <laughs> this might be know. a bit I do now. <laughs> I might owe it to yacht. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and, uh, I think you mention it in this, in this clip. Oh, too, I do. George. Yeah. 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 I do mention that. So right. it is, yeah, so, it is about this. I, I did come up with it before. I did yeah. come up with it before this. Yeah. So yeah, we got, uh, you know, making a murderer season two coming out. Uh, oh. I definitely mm. had opinions about that one. Um, you know, I have opinions about, uh, cereal as well. And mm. about whether or not, you know, it's it's delivering the the information truthfully, uh, and mm-hmm. if it's picking a side and presenting that information um, truthfully, and and if they are necessarily telling you that, you know, if they're if they're mm-hmm. kind of waiting that telling of the story on one side or the other. They're, they're not necessarily telling you that they're doing that. Right. Dude, um, there's like so many ethical questions in how podcasting is working now. Right. So, yeah. And it's, and, and how much do we rely on, on forms of entertainment to kind of exploit that situation? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, does it do well to, you know, uh, you know, there, there does need to be a reform in the justice system, but is this the best way of going about presenting it is to kind of like make it a part of entertainment. Um, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what's touched on a little bit in this clip, Cool, but, uh, you know, it's, it is very serious, but you all have such a great time talking mm-hmm. about it. Uh, that this I is John Bechtolt and Claire Evans. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, play that one now. 
That is something that I hope that more documentaries do because yeah. I feel like every Follow time up. I watch a documentary, right. I'm, I'm like quick You're to like, Wikipedia to see what happened after remember, the reception of the documentary. And that is yeah. not going to be a thing, like a companion piece. Totally. Remember Unsolved Mysteries when it would be like, update. Yeah. And then yeah. go into like, dun, 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 yeah. update. He was oh, found. so satisfying. Well, Making a Murder 2 is coming out. There you go. So, right. yeah, this year. About this just like more about what happened? Everything that's happened since in the release of. I think um, it's so interesting Brendan, to, yeah. for documentaries to actually like mm-hmm. be forthright about their position in the story. And especially like now that we just have given up on the criminal justice system entirely and just <laughs> depend on yeah. documentaries to tell the true story or Basically. podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, absolve us. Like yeah. NPR. That's exactly, um, I have a joke about that exactly. Really? About how we've like outsourced all of our mysteries yeah. to the private sector. Yeah. It's so great. It's like, I hope, like you just go to jail for something you didn't do and you just have to hope that at some point yeah, like an enterprising HBO. documentary filmmaker right, comes yeah. along. I hope my thing at least has some ratings so I can get out of here. Yeah. Like I hope my crime like, is interesting yeah, enough. Exactly. Oh God, so now people start doing weirder crimes just so they can get exonerated <laughs> through media? Is that what's going to happen? Maybe. But yeah, I mean, I think that that's like, it's cool for a documentary to take responsibility for that well, this by is, yeah. including a follow-up that's like, this is what we did. Like, yeah. this is what the impact of our storytelling well, was on the actual story. They made themselves the heroes. They made, yeah. they made themselves like the advocate. This is a very like, like Woodward and Bernstein kind <laughs> of like, but just unmasking, not like a system... It's not like the system is indicted. It's like one weird kingpin yeah. is indicted. Yeah, it goes all the way strange. to just this guy. Yeah. Follow the money, it's just here. Like, yeah. Follow the money. Like- they said, follow the money. Oh, it's, we found it. It was <laughs> on is. a hard drive that was available to the public. That's the other, that as a tech amazing. person, right. like, it's just like, oh, I just... I just doxed myself. Yeah. yeah. That's what he basically did. So at the end, you find out that he made his records public. Uh, it, right. Yeah. yeah like a folder that's very conveniently labeled. Yeah. Do you think he did it documents. on purpose? Like the, on Damn. some element, like him going to the, to the premiere and saying he liked the music, like, it almost seems like he enjoys the attention yeah. of the people. Uh, and he likes, this the end game. he likes having like this a cause, <laughs> a reason for litigiousness and anger and like a reason for being. And like yeah. maybe that's the documentary has given him like the ultimate manifestation of right. that. Right. He's just like a plain old narcissist. Yeah. That loves Regular old, maybe he's just running for president, am I right? That's a real corker. We're looking for a vice <laughs> New York, president. A New York wealthy son. Yeah, that sounds right. Mm-hmm. That does sound about right. I it's mean, funny because that's what, I mean, that's what uh, the Jinx Bar Durst is also too. Like, a, mm-hmm. a, it's, that's the, pro- those are the, pro- those the are the realist? problem people. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, the, the rich sons of New York magnates. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the people that are, they, their parents pulled themselves by their own bootstraps mm-hmm. and yeah. just dangling off. Some uh, shoelace. Uh, and neglect boots. <laughs> yeah, they're all neglected. Boots. All those children. Durst was neglected. Mm-hmm. This got David DeMaio's neglected. Trump. Trump definitely neglected. Oh, for sure. Like oh, they yeah. just need sick power. Now is Trump listening to this? Oh, oh yeah. sir, thank you. <laughs> thank you also, for your service. I like attention too. Just to remind you, I was neglected. I like attention. <laughs> Go to our Patreon page right now. You guys have a Patreon page? Yeah, we do. Yeah, it's a good time yeah. to plug our Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. You can get What's a that URL? one inch button. <laughs> it's patreon.com slash subdocpodcast. That's awesome. <laughs> By the way, that URL again is patreon.com slash subdocpodcast. Yeah. Will's cat's got to eat. Yes. Right. Yes. That, that's an awesome clip. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was a really fun conversation. Um, I also uh, want to point out Claire at the time was working on a book that has since come out and it's called Broadband. It's a history of uh, women in the development of the Internet and computers. Yep. So, yeah, it's a nonfiction book that she wrote. So like rock star 
uh, writer, Jeez. journalist, author. Uh, yeah. It's Claire Evans yeah, and J- Jonah. Yeah. Jonah and Claire were awesome. And I was not familiar with Yacht and their music before this interview. And I completely left with a huge crush on these guys. They're awesome people. I feel like and you also just, drove down like on no sleep to directly yeah. to their house from San directly Francisco. From San Francisco on my birthday. On your birthday. <laughs> directly. And I was so tired. I'd been up all night long. And then I drove straight to LA, right to their house. And thank the Lord that I got to talk to these two people and mm-hmm. have this conversation because it was awesome. And their house was incredible. I mean, it's like um, it's, uh, the, the like aesthetic. You want their lives. You actually, guys. there's a documentary where Paco just takes over their lives. <laughs> he just straight up like yes. uh, talented Mr. Ripley's uh, yacht. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I just love it. And then I started listening to Yacht and I was like, oh, these guys are so cool. Their music is so cool and, and they're so smart. And after the recording, um, Jonah was like, oh, I'm working on this tower oh. of weirdness. And yes. here's here is the architectural blueprints of it. And we're trying to save it. And then we also do this app. And I was like, <laughs> who are you people? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's inc- constantly. It's been like that the entire time I've known him. But actually, I am going to go to that. I'm going to go to the tri Forium, which is this uh, public sculpture that has um, a music uh, component to it. So they basically like kind of revived it, got a grant to like revive this sculpture and compose music for it. So I'm going to go to this Triforium thing. Uh, yeah. Right around the time this comes out, actually, they're doing a couple oh, of events. So cool. Yeah. So check out Google the Triforium and you'll kind of uh, find out more. If you're in L.A., it's something to check out. So, yeah, that's so cool. And then like they showed us that weird Netflix (gasps) video. Yeah, that's in the Patreon thing. There's like test videos that Netflix made. That's clearly like people just kind of hanging out at the Netflix campus. And I think it's trying to make sure that like streaming, like glitching isn't happening (laughs) when their hand is moving, stuff like that. It's so fucking weird. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's it's just like a bunch of numbers. Yeah, uh, it's a thing where like. Okay, I have, you know, I work at a podcast uh, hosting platform Mm -hmm. and I have made, I have published there, they are publicly available, several Mm -hmm. test episodes that are just testing the limits of the technology and looking Mm -hmm. for errors and things. They're not on iTunes or anything, but the RSS feeds are, are out there in public. Are public, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of one of those things. I actually so cool. discovered something like that at my job uh, also, like some weird test uh, like tone that's on Pandora. That's oh, just really? like mm. a weird test tone. You, it has like a name. You sure like, that's not my comedy t- album? <laughs> it's pretty much it's if your comedy <laughs> album had a 20 second track, I think that might be it. Um, okay. Yeah. So you can always find out so many bizarre things like that. Yeah. That's an awesome clip. Thanks for sharing that, Will. Let's go. Uh, so let's move on, George, with um, episode 55. Yeah. So I think this is when I was talking. Uh, well, we had Wayne Fetterman at my house and Yay. Paco was here in person as well. And we made him try some weird sodas. Uh, he he did not like the Rowdy Roddy Piper <laughs> bubblegum soda. And I was like very surprised strange. that he did not know they live because he seems like a guy. Like so. So he wanted to talk about Crumb, which is a great film by Terry Zweigoff about the cartoonist Robert Crumb. But also Wayne teaches a class on the history of comedy at mm-hmm. USC. So he's just like mm-hmm. a fountain of uh, information. We also had him on recently because he co-produced uh didn't they win did they win an Emmy for Zen Diaries? 
Yes, they, they did. W- yeah, so Zen Diaries sure with did. Gary Shandling. Uh, Wayne was one of the producers on that, and that one, I guess, it won documentary Emmy or miniseries yeah. or something for. Um, no documentary. Yeah. Yeah, and and Wayne was a really good friend of Gary's, and um, that's awesome. Another awesome uh, episode. If you yeah. want to check that out, yeah, that's more recent. So this is from a little while ago. First time we went to his house to do the the Gary Shanley stuff, but he came to our house to my house to do this. So uh, yeah, we we're just kind of talking a little bit about him, and then it kind of. If you haven't seen the film, it kind of also gets into a lot of like family dynamics stuff. So kind of like family dynamics how it relates to comedy. And uh, we get a little exclusive drop about a little factoid about Wayne Fetterman. So here we go. Uh, do you guys have you have do you have siblings, Wayne? Yeah, yeah. And how, how where are you in the hierarchy of? Well, it's a very complex oh. situation because I my mom my dad died when we were young and she had four kids. I was the youngest, and then my mom remarried mm. and had two others. Right, right. And even though they're step siblings. Mm-hmm. They're they siblings. Feel, yeah, they're yeah. just, they feel like full on siblings. I have the same situation. You do, yeah. So, a so, similar situation. So you have yeah. six. So there's six, but I was the youngest of the first four. four. Got uh, it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And you grew up in the house with the younger two, or no? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. They, oh, you're yeah. all siblings. Yeah. 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 And they, we all have the same list. And like when my mom remarried, we got our new adopted names and stuff like that. Oh, got it. So it was same last name. Okay. And so it was like one big family. Is there Are a pre-Fetterman name then? Yes, or, there yeah. is a pre-Fetterman. What's a pre-Fetterman name? Well, it's nothing it's I not talk about, talk but about. I will over. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll crumb it while we're yeah, in the yeah, world of yeah. uh, like complete this. honesty. Yeah. The name on my birth certificate is Wayne Monchin, M-O-N-D-S-C-H-E-I-N. Mm-hmm. Oh, German? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exclusive. Drop, 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 drop. Exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why I was. Uh, more. Yeah. And I remember like, because. Is Fetterman a funnier name for comedy? I, I think it's, it is. It is. I think, I think it, it is. It's got a da 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 kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the rhythm. Yeah. yeah it's, it's like a little. Munchie. Yeah. And that's hard Munchy, to pronounce. Yeah. And yeah. No, but it does. It means like moonlight or moonshine. Moon, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So I'm basically, I bring moonlight to the world. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Sorry to... That's why you work late at night. With the, you know, Are you the only artist in your family? My brother is a film editor. Oh, Andrew. oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, he uh, actually got nominated for a movie called The Sixth Sense. Ooh, I heard which of it. is like Edited famous, that? famous for editing. That's yeah. amazing Re- editing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That is Thank you. Editing. Thank yeah. Is that I See Dead People? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Does he live here in Los Angeles? No, he's oh. in New York. Got it. All New York based. Mm-hmm. Fuck, man. Yeah. Did you get your start? But he in was very, he was uh, very, uh, you know, much more of an achiever than I was. It was like because he, I was, I was a, like a year behind him. Mm-hmm. But he was, you know, super smart, good mm-hmm. athlete, and all of that stuff. So a lot of times when I was like, oh, I had your brother Andrew yeah. last year, and I was like, well, just. Just Stop the comparison. The yeah, yeah. 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 I'm going to be a different kind of student. Yeah. I'm going to be, you know, talking That's, a lot. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> be, I'll be good. I'll be, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm a smart kid, but yeah. not like him. So. so you're kind of like, to a point, you were youngest child and then you yes. were, then you were middle child. So exactly. you, had, you had both experiences. Yeah. yeah. That'll fuck you up a little bit. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm kind of like that too, really? except I'm like 20 years older than my brother oh, and sister. Okay. So, oh, yeah. but my dad's so really yeah. not middle child. We didn't grow up in the same house. Were you the youngest of that? I was the youngest in the initial group. Yeah. We have that in common. My older sister. Yeah. So what's happening here, yeah, guys? I was so here's my. I was the youngest of four, and my dad married my stepmom, who had two kids. Oh, okay. Yeah. What age? Brady Bunch they? style. So I was the youngest, and then I 
uh, one was the stepdaughter was old, one older than me, one younger oh. than me. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it kind of moved me up as so well. So Brady Bunch style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they mixed in the ages, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they did. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, a lot of comedians are youngest kids. It mm-hmm. seems a that lot, way. Uh, yeah. overwhelming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some That's exceptions it. to it, but I think mm-hmm. Seinfeld's older than his sister. Or something, right. Mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. You're looking for some kind of a, t- your figure. Yeah, and also, course. here's another reason. I know this is a total side, and I know you want to close up this podcast, but is the, uh, that I feel like when you're the youngest, you get, ver- your verbal skills are more elevated because you have, you're right. You're surrounded oh, by that's and culture too. Your your, yeah, yeah. your brothers and sisters are bringing yeah. home your references albums. are going to be. Yeah. So you're, there's mm-hmm. already more in your comedy quiver right. that you're that you right. can uh, yeah pull you out associate with older. So yeah, I I think it's interesting that family dynamics comes up so much. And interestingly, because I think of Wayne and Dana as being of a similar generation too. A uh, big difference being Dana has kids. Wayne doesn't have kids. Uh, but like just this thought, a lot of thought goes into like how your, you know, childhood affects what's going on now. Sure. Of course. Yeah. And if, and also interestingly that you bring that up because Dana in the some kind of monster episode does an impression of Wayne Fetterman. So, <laughs> cause I think we told him he was over here. Is that what happened? Yeah. 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 It's great. So that we if you are hear- like, we kind of like, you're going to play like Wayne Fetterman wants to play basketball with you now. Like there's mm-hmm. sort of like, yeah. and like Dana was going to do a drop in on my show, but he ended up not doing it. But like, we're kind of rubbing elbows with these people that like, you know, I've been seeing on television my whole life. So oh my God. Amazing. I know. Yeah, it is cool, man. I mean, that's the beauty of the comedy family. It's not mm-hmm. big. And if you have just some common interest and you're fun to hang out with, then people are like, yeah, you know, because yeah. Wayne also wrote a book about uh, Pete Maravich, right. you know, the famous basketball player. So he's Wayne's a really cool guy. He's so smart and he just uh, has so much to say. So it was yeah. awesome that he dropped in and did this. And he this was, you know, another similarity is this was another one where he couldn't remember. He couldn't find the place. He was having <sighs> trouble. Was he? Uh, he was in he was out in his car for a while out uh, front. Okay. Yeah. I guess I need one. to make sure that I have my phone ringer on when I have <laughs> any appointments booked. I mean, I think you know to just tap on my window because I don't have a buzzer. Right. So yeah, yeah I've learned that. Uh, speaking of people that are fun, uh, we got a clip about uh, a film that is a pretty fun Kind of dark, but still, like, I'd say a funny documentary, which is I Think We're Alone Now. Oh, Pocky, right. You set yeah, that I, was, up? I was like, yeah, I was like, where are you going? I don't uh, know. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, wow. I think we're alone now. This was like uh, this was really early on. This is episode 12. Um, and we had comedian uh, Sarah, Sarah yeah. June out of uh, Austin, Texas. She dropped by my apartment. Um, and we talked to her about I Think We're Alone Now, which is like, uh, it's on YouTube and you can watch it. And it is one of those kind of classic documentaries where there's not a lot of information. It's just kind of like a fly on the wall kind of thing. And it's very low budget, but it is awesome. And there's a lot of crazy themes in this documentary. Um one of which is stalking because we have mm-hmm. basically it's a case study of two people who really love Tiffany 
<laughs> the pop star who sang that song and their complete and utter uh, love for her. And they both feel like they're connected to her on more than one plane, mm-hmm. if you will. So in this clip you're about to hear, um, episode 12, we talked to Sarah about stalking. Um, this is near the end of the episode, so we're kind of wrapping it up. But then we find out some interesting information about one of them who is kind of moved on. Um, and we, we talk about some cutscenes that you can see on YouTube and uh, Christianity, of all things. So uh, this is Sarah June, episode 12. I think we're alone now. Let's let's move into Act Three, Alyssa Milano. Yes. Oh boy. Quick, like really good, really good ending. I think to this movie, Jeff. It's amazing. Jeff says, "I am no longer obsessed with Tiffany. We are still great friends, but I am now erotically <laughs> fixated on Alyssa Milano." And this is so weird because apparently the the filming for this documentary ended in two thousand eight, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or around 2008, maybe let's say at the at the latest it 2007. Came out, it came the first cut came out for festivals in 08. Okay, so, so maybe maybe 2007, pretty likely. Alyssa Milano, yeah, yeah. Eh. And then there was somebody else too who he's kind of into. Oh, because he says, um, oh yeah, okay. So he says, I still love Tiffany, but I've accepted that she is going to stay with Ben George. So now I am going to try to marry Alyssa Milano. Yeah. That's such a reveal. That's such yeah. a beautiful reveal, the way mm-hmm. they set that up, too, because you're like, Jeff, he, that's so good. Good. Yeah. Over her. Yeah. Good. And then he turns and he holds up the Alyssa Milano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and then oh, he's got no. these stacks and just, I, I did. I think he shows like an album that she had. Uh, DVDs, I think. Is it just DVDs? Yeah. So. Like the some, Poison yeah. Ivy. Oh, my uh, God. Soft auto, soft erotica. I think yes, Poison yes, Ivy yes, two yes. or three, maybe, because Poison Ivy 1 is Drew Barrymore, right? Uh, All right, never mind. Uh, nobody knows. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, George. <laughs> Time. To I think do. you probably know better. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, just then, ask him. and then he gets in trouble for stalking Alyssa Milano. Oh, does he? Yeah, because he shows up at. Uh, he talks about going to her house and that he had to go through the woods. That might not be in the movie. That might be just. That might have been a cutscene because I don't. I yeah. totally would remember that. I think oh. it happened. I think it happened post two thousand ten. Oh, There's a thing on right. the website on YouTube where he explains his side. Yeah. of the <laughs> Alyssa Milano story. Yeah, he gets caught stalking Alyssa Milano, like at her actual house. Oh, Goes to her house through yeah. the woods, uh, and then like her. She lives in L.A. I assume. I assume, yeah. and her husband comes out and he's like waving at him. And like, uh, I can just imagine him smiling and waving. Yeah, well, yeah, and and Jeff talks about Holly. He's like, well, there was all this like, you know, it was hard to get to her house. Like, yeah, like, like so he was. I just wanted to give her a Christmas present. It was the holidays. Yeah. I thought I should come visit. Yeah, and it's like, so I had to go through the woods. It's almost like, didn't they think that if there's all the security, people weren't able to get to their house? Yeah. Like he was almost yeah. blaming it on them. Yeah, yeah. Sec- that's what he does. He's, he blames it on them. Yeah, it never, it's, it's, it's like thing. it's never occurred to him that somebody might not want people just coming to their house, which is somebody who was alone a lot would never think, right. well, you know, why would you put up all these barriers to people getting near you? He, you know, he, he, I don't think he can imagine having people want to talk to you. Oh, oh yeah. That's an interesting point. He like has a whole conspiracy theory about stalking as a law too. Like he thinks it's like oh, not. Right, he's got books. all these stalking books. He's just like 
and he's also like, I'm just oh. anti-fascism. Yeah. Yes. That's like why yes. everyone should allow me to go to their house. That's fascist to that not allow me to go to their house. Yeah, yeah he does have these stacks of Oh, books. I wrote her parents an anniversary card. Big, oh, I'm such a dangerous man. Right. That's basically what his, uh, his like funny like sarcasm yeah. about that. I like he holds up that book of like this, this sexual perversion of stalking and he's like, ooh, isn't that a titillating title? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm very pure. I've accepted that there's not going to be a sexual relationship with me and Tiffany, but I will still send her things. And the great thing about Christianity, because he turns to Christianity in this movie, or it doesn't turn to, but as we all should. And then he, and then he hailed Jesus. Hail Jesus. Good. But but the thing about Christians, don't don't bring in anybody. Good impression of Christianity. (laughs) Hail Jesus. (laughs) H-E-L-L Jesus. Hail Jesus. I'm thinking of Satan. I'm sorry. Wait, you know, I don't like the word Satan, so we call him hell Jesus. Right. It's hell Jesus over there. <laughs> That's awesome, Hell Jesus. Let's call Satan Hell Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I just I I love this bit. There is there is so many so many clips I wanted to use from this episode because Sarah is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, she brought so much energy and thought and ideas to this episode. When I l- listened back, I was like, oh, that's right. It was a really great talk because she there was a lot to talk about in this doc because it's. There is these themes of, again, like stalking and, you know, uh, privacy and how much is too much and what is what is celebrity culture. And yeah. Um, and then these these two, um, Jeff and um, Kelly, yeah. are interesting all by themselves. There is a clip from this episode where that we talk about because at one point they share an apartment in oh, a hotel room. Right. Yes. <laughs> I do yeah. remember that. And they kind of out shame each other about how much they don't really like the other one doesn't really like Tiffany as much as they do. Right. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's pretty impressive. And your your impression of, of uh, Jeff Turner. You do a you do you do a good Jeff Turner. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is kind of like a film about mental illness, basically, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. So it's weird that it is kind of plays as comedy but i mean i think like it's kind of one of those just weird americana films like i think a lot of people uh like think documentaries mean it's gonna be like homework and this is definitely like this is like closer to like a reality tv than it is to like homework uh which is one one side of it but it's like a weird americana kind of like only in america could this sort of thing happen um, it's also, you know, to be a big bummer, which is what I usually do. Uh, Alyssa Milano was just at the hearings, uh, for the conf- for the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh mm. and wrote about it. And I guess is a big proponent of the me too movement. I'm like, oh yeah, you had a guy just show up at your house. That's kind of a me too right. thing that we thought was like, I mean, I guess in a weird way, it's like, I think we thought sometimes think that celebrities aren't people so it's fun to make fun of like Lindsay Lohan or whatever but then you're like oh yeah that person probably is going through a bunch of shit so uh it is it is also weird and like thinking about this not from the perspective of Tiffany because we're like Tiffany's fine right she's she's fine but uh, probably if you had someone stalk you let's say you had someone being like hey Paco I'm gonna leave you some flowers because I love this podcast so much how would you react to that? 
Uh, well, it would be weird and creepy because I'm like, really? Uh, you <laughs> you listen to Sub Talk? Now, it's, I mean, and we, we do talk about that in this episode. We do share our, our stalking stories mm-hmm. and, um, you know, that, I mean, it's a weird, it's definitely a weird thing. I mean, in one part of, in this uh, documentary, um, Jeff talks about how he went to the airport to meet Tiffany with a sword, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and chrysanthemums <sighs> because that's the Japanese way, you know, and it's like, it's very sweet and it's innocent, but Lord have mercy. This is a grown man with a sword. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, I mean, again, like one of the reasons I, I wanted to use this episode as far as like a favorite, like what we're trying to do with something. It's like, it, you're right. It's about mental illness and there is some serious subject matter, but like, I feel like we handled it well. Um, and, and it was kind of like, you know, in this episode, we we talk a lot about some some serious stuff, but it's like you know, it's it's we. I think we handled it really well, yeah. which is why I, I used this clip because it's it's you know. I mean, she brought we, this to us. She brought this film to us too. Like I was like, hey, do you want to do the show? What do you want to talk about? She's like, oh, there's this film you guys should watch. I'm like, what is this? And then I yeah. send it to you, and you're like, yeah. what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty. It's a pretty powerful. Do- I mean, there's so much in this documentary. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as Jeff's father, there's you know again father issues mm-hmm. and um, just all kinds it's of crazy like stuff. It's like Crumb in a weird way. It's closer oh, to Crumb yeah. than other talks we've covered in a way. Yeah. Uh, Will, yeah. what did you think of? Uh, did you did you see this movie? Well, I did, and it's um, mm-hmm. it's pretty wild. Uh, it is, you know it they're definitely not the only people who have an obsession with Tiffany, but I think it kind of shines a light on the world of like people who are just uh, of fandom and how Mm, fandom turns toxic. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's this, there's another documentary, uh, about the rock of fire explosion. Oh yeah. The showbiz pizza band. Um, Yeah, I know about that, but I haven't seen it. And it's a little bit sweeter than this one, but it still goes mm-hmm. into the same thing about obsession mm-hmm. and the types mm-hmm. of people who kind of put this stuff together. And, you know, the fact that this man with, you know, who is not in a relationship to that's mm-hmm. really or at least one to speak of built this kind of um, birthday place in his house and invites and, and rents it out for birthday parties. So children are <sighs> at his of house. Mm-hmm. regularly um mm-hmm. it, it, it does go into that creep uh creepy territory that uh, this one yeah uh, went into we really right. go creepy it's kind of hard not to leak into creep right. territory when you're dealing with these kind of yeah. themes for sure but uh, and you're and sarah has a podcast george yeah uh she has a podcast called left coast she lives in la now uh, i've i've uh, seen her around uh, yeah, she's not in Austin anymore, but it is uh, good to have her in L.A. And yeah, Left Coast is a political podcast. Uh, it's very, as you can guess by the title, Left Coast. It is very left leaning. Uh, appropriate for check it out. <laughs> the elections are around the corner. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, definitely uh, register to vote, people. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to this in America, register, register to might vote. Be too late. It might be make too sure, late. It's Halloween. Make, sh- make sure you have your correct IDs Yeah. in case right. you're one of those states that requires uh, IDs. Uh, make sure they're current and make sure you know where your polling place mm-hmm. is because they yeah. will try Amen. to stop you uh, at several places. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, so there we go. There, That is our favorite moment show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. This was awesome. It was fun to go back and listen to these past episodes. Um, did you guys have fun going back and, and tra- traipsing back through some memories? I Most did. Definitely. I yeah, I, I I was happy to hear what clips you guys chose, and because mm-hmm. I was just like bringing up a lot of things. Uh, it's like three and a half years goes by in a weird blur. Sometimes I'm like, mm-hmm. we've created mm-hmm. I don't know how many hours of content this actually is, but there's like the fact that there's like raw audio files that are even more bloated <laughs> there's like there's so much <laughs> stuff that we actually got on tape and like you said there was so much crazy stuff that people told us after we stopped rolling we really need to figure out oh, a way man. to like turn that into something else maybe like youtube stuff or something um yeah, yeah. and we just well, people had, yeah people relax once you once they're they get into it they're usually a little nervous at the beginning then they relax and they get more relaxed and then you stop and then they hang out and they're like oh you know i should have mentioned that uh miles davis was my godfather uh, you know like, yeah. yeah that would have been cool yeah <laughs> you know? so yeah i i think like uh yeah we have some good stuff that just came out we just had francesca fiorentini on you can just check out the recent back episodes and you know 100 plus we're going deeper into it uh we're gonna keep i we have no plans of stopping for we have no exit months. strategy we have no exit strategy <laughs> basically is what i'm saying well <laughs> and documentaries are just they're becoming i mean like it's awesome because now documentaries are huge like and there's even mockumentaries mm-hmm. that are huge and like netflix has done an awesome job of bringing uh documentaries to people's living rooms and stuff so watch docs listen to sup doc um yeah and we have like you said we have no desire or Exit. <laughs> yeah, so, um, we haven't figured out the divorce in- strategy yet. We haven't. We haven't had to bring in a therapist to our podcast yet. We should bring in just Dana Gould. Right. To yeah. Like, uh, do you mind being mediate. the third chair on this show, Dana Gould? Sure. What else am I doing? I'm just making yeah, TV right. in Atlanta all the time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening, you guys. You made it to the end. Absolutely. Yay! Thank you, guys.